0: reality check radio
1: happy friday everybody it's august 25 you are listening to the up your brave show with natalie cutler welsh here on reality check radio wow we had such a huge massive amazing response to our show last week which i affectionately refer to as our most truth bomb show yet well that's my most truth bomb show yet if you listen to some of my co-hosts they're doing it all the time um, I was so thrilled. I was a little nervous, I have to say, about um about that about that show because it's so much of the stuff I believe. I think I was being a little bit more out the gate or more um unfiltered or whatever than I usually am sometimes. And it was it just felt good. um, particularly Ross's interview. and I spoke with um Ross. I spoke with Jeanette, and I spoke with Amber. So we talked about. Why it's time to stand up, speak out, get off the fence. And Amber also talked about the Great Awakening. So if you missed that episode, don't worry. You can go to the replays page, realitycheck.radio slash replays. And then you simply scroll down, click on Up Your Brave, and it'll pretty much be um, at the bottom of that page. And you can listen to the whole show, the whole three-hour show, including music. Or you can just click on the individual interviews. And I'm going to read to you in a moment some of the feedback that we got, the amazing feedback that we got from people on that one. Um, so, and later on in the show today, probably at the end, like closer to 1230, I'm going to be doing a little flashback to my interview with Ross. So for you, if you missed it, you can catch a little bit on today's show as well. Now, a few things coming up that I'm sure you're aware of, but I wanted to remind you, is the River of Freedom movie is coming out. We had the Sound of Freedom just a few days ago, and we've got now the River of Freedom, which is about the convoy, the Freedom Convoy, and the which became the Wellington Protest. And that's happening on the 5th of September here in Auckland, but also on the 6th and 7th in other places. Um, I believe it's in Christchurch in Wellington, but if you want it in your area, s- simply go to your local uh, movie theater and request and see if they can get it happening. It just takes people to stand up and speak out. Also coming up, the NZDSOS, New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science Conference, is happening on September the 16th. I am proudly sponsoring that, which I'm excited about, but I'm so excited to connect with people in real life, and it's just going to be like a massive, (laughs) amazing event to connect with people and also, of course, um, increase our learning and our knowledge around what is going on, what has been going on um, in the past few years specifically. So here's what's coming up on the show today. I'm going to be talking about values and abundance. First, I'm speaking with Dixie Carlton on the V word um, and aligning your core values. Then I'm chatting with Glenn Thomas from Gold Survival Guide, all about gold and silver and being prepared. Next off, I'm going all the way to the UK. I'm talking to Louisa Havers on the topic of unlocking financial abundance by healing your money blocks. So as usual, an amazing mix and variety of people with with wisdom to share. I'm excited for you to hear these interviews. In the meantime, let's share some of this feedback that we got and please definitely text in. We love it when people text in. So as you are listening to the show a few times, I'll remind you if you want to text in with your thoughts, that is great. We've got one here from Lindsay. Hi, Natalie. I've just finished listening to the replay of your chat with Ross Campbell. RCR interviews consistently blow me away with the quality of the presentation and the amazing people you bring on to our consciousness. Ross shared some fascinating experiences, and I get what he means about not fitting in. This is my experience for as long as I can remember. Now I understand. Please send Ross a big thank you. I'm sure he will feel the love and gratitude from all of us who resonated with his experiences. RCR is a golden light guiding us through these dark and crazy times. Thank you, Lindsay, for writing in, and I absolutely agree. Um, Here's another person writing in to us. Uh, Just listening to the actor and mental health, um, the actor about mental health unit and the jab. So that's Ross. I worked in community mental health before being fired for refusing the jab. I have an email from our team leader, and he's still working, who stated to staff to quote unquote, get all your clients and take them to the VAC center to get the jab, whether you like it or not, unquote, genocide and criminal. Well, thank you for writing in. It is interesting times. And I've heard that they are apparently, there may be a new variant coming. And guys, all I can say is please do not fall for it again. That's my view. I'm just being a little bit more out the gate. Um, Please just come back to your discernment. Last week, Amber talked about detecting deception. I think we've had a lot of deception under the guise of health guidance um, in the last few years. Just saying. Okay, back to the messages from our amazing audience we are very slowly waking up to what's been discussed but many of our friends and family do not want to get their heads out of the sand that creates an us and them mentality these people are hypnotized and can't be woken they are dangerous zombies lloyd thanks lloyd for writing in yeah we all have views we all have different people in different states of mind at the moment so it's tricky times indeed Um, someone here says, hi guys. I truly believe COVID was created, created and released to remove Donald Trump by the use of mail in voting. Cheers, Dave. Thank you, Dave, for writing in interesting times as we approach an election here in our country and to see what things are going to be, um, placed in front of us to believe or not believe. And for us to have opportunity to stand up, hopefully this time a little um, louder and prouder. All right. So I'm not going to read them all. I have so many. It's just amazing. Here's another one. I'm loving your interviews at the moment. I'm resonating with everything being said in so many ways, Um, it, especially with regards to how to deal with lonely, loneliness and anger. A group of volunteer practitioners in Nelson got together after we were mandated out of our jobs, and we're channeling our energies into helping anyone who has been impacted by COVID. We have an outreach table at Nelson Market, and it's amazing how many people are approaching our table now for support and often just to be heard and validated. Love your program. Keep up with the great work, guys. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for writing in about that. I know things like that are happening around the country where people are just reaching out and ready to help others who are suffering and struggling off the back of the COVID experience. So good on you guys in Nelson. Thank you so much. Okay, I've got so many more. I'm not going to read them all, but basically lots of amazing feedback. It's so amazing. Um Thank you so much, everyone, for writing in. Now, I just wanted to read this one other one here. Okay, this final one. I, too, felt alone and outside the recognized norms all my life until I went camping on a footpath in Wellington. There I found my tribe. Love you, Ross, from Graham. Well, speaking of Wellington, um, the River of Freedom movie is coming up, as I mentioned, and I thought for my first song today, I'm actually going to... See if I can play for you the River of Freedom trailer. Now, I I realize you won't be able to see it. You can go and look at it on YouTube. My amazing friend Mark did a lot of the footage on that. Um, But there is some good audio on that. So let's listen now to our first song. Before we go to our interviews, this is the River of Freedom trailer.
2: My role in my own heart and the reason why I was there is that I needed to speak the truth.
0: I'd educate myself. Personally, I'm pro-vaccination, but having to sack people because they don't take a vaccination is, in my book, just immoral.
3: This is the
4: world that we're in now you better toe the line. But we wouldn't.
5: No, I need to do this. I, I feel so strongly about it. But I'm proud of what I did and what I fought for.
3: The Wellington protest was that light. It gave me that faith back that maybe we don't have to go down that dark
0: road. This was where our power was. I just wanted to get one night on the whenua, and if we'd have got through that, I was happy.
4: If the politicians of New Zealand think that these little games that they're playing against us, up against some of the most resourceful people in New Zealand, they're dreaming.
0: Give them an umbrella!
2: I think I understood, because I listened. Your job as a politician is to represent the people.
0: This leadership group had
3: a person offered to negotiate. I just assumed the government would behave
6: reasonably.
0: If democracy is a conversation, and politicians don't want to have the conversation, what are we all doing here?
3: Be calm, everyone. Peace and love. How can you be an anti-vaxxer when you had a vaccine? You know, like, you did it, right? You're not an anti-vaxxer. You're an injured person.
0: We'd already been bullied out of everything else. I didn't have anything else to lose. (laughs) Made me
3: cry every day they didn't come.
6: Where's your money?
0: You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio with Natalie cutler Welsh, And today I'm here chatting with Dixie Maria Carlton. We're talking about that V word, the the why behind every what and aligning your core values and your actions in life and business. How are you doing, Dixie? I'm doing fabulously well. Thanks, Natalie. It's great to see you. Awesome to see you. And for those of you that haven't met Dixie before or heard of her, Dixie Carlton is a publishing, marketing, and experts coach who has been at the forefront of ensuring core values are understood and articulated in daily personal lives, as well as incorporated into brand values and marketing for more than 20 years. She also likes to challenge the status quo, don't we all, um, around how we all communicate better and important, um, sorry, better on important, but often misunderstood topics, writing and speaking about those with insightful clarity. I know you're so amazing, Dixie. You've written, I think it's 24 books now. What a legend.
2: Yeah, I'm a little bit of an overachiever in that space.
1: <laughs> I can't help myself. I get curious about things and I want to write about it. So, I know. so yeah. good. Well, you've written so many books and I know you've helped so many others write books as well. So I'd love to hear about that. Um, at some point in this interview, but let's dive in with kind of a general question that I genuinely want to know, because you and I are friends. I know you moved over from Australia back to New Zealand a few years ago, but like, how have things been for you in the last three years of craziness? How has it all been?
2: Well, it has been crazy times. I was just reflecting uh, yesterday, in fact, that uh, the last three years, three years ago, I was in living in uh, Brisbane And uh, living in a fabulous apartment, having a wonderful lifestyle, doing lots of great things, enjoying the winterless winter, which was brilliant. And then, of course, everything changed. And as we all know, the world changed, everything tilted on its axis, and that other V word became a big issue. And so my partner and I decided to relocate back to New Zealand. We're both Kiwis. We've been here for years. Um, But after 10 years away, it was time to come home. So we had to navigate the... Uh, the whole issue of getting home and how that uh, um, transpired, uh, going through the lockdowns, going through the relocation issues with vaccination issues in play, uh, discovering I was allergic to the vaccination, which was also quite helpful in some ways. And so then uh, relocated back to, to New Zealand I spent a year up north, re, uh, mostly because I wanted to research a new book that I'm writing about an ancestor of mine who is an incredible, interesting lady. And so I've been doing that and then relocated back to Hamilton at the start of this year so I could really focus on my business and more writing. And when I say the other V word, uh, I decided to call this book that V word because everybody's talking about V words anyway. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, let's have some fun with this title. So mm-hmm. I did.
1: I know. I was like, "Ooh, what exactly are we talking about?" Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me, tell me about the V word. Like, what is what is the book about? Um, Because I know it's coming out really soon. So we're like, we're hot off the press here with this interview. Um, Tell me what it's about, and what you know, what is the what are some of the takeaways you're really wanting people to get from it.
2: So the book is about values and core values. Now, when I started my training as a coach 20 odd years ago, I was introduced to the concept of core values for the first time. And so over the years, I've coached and worked with many companies and individual people on the whole concept of, well, what are your values versus what are your core values and what are your needs? And I've noticed every now and then over the years, values as a concept becomes a bit of a buzzword. Mm -hmm. And often I see that, It's a misunderstood concept. Uh, People talk about value versus values, what they think their values are. And often with companies, for example, or you ask someone, anyone on the street, what your values are, and they'll usually say things like, well, honesty, trust, respect, integrity. Those are the four that most people just naturally gravitate towards saying when you talk about values. So I decided after many years of thinking about this, that it was time to write the book and really focus on the differences of those th- four things. And so one of the things that I put in the book is I'm challenging the whole issue around integrity and saying that integrity is not of value. And so what I've tried to do with this book, which from the feedback and the reviews so far, I seem to have nailed it, is really help people to understand the process of how do you identify what your values and your core values are the fact that your core values won't necessarily change throughout your life. Your other values may come into play at various times, but there are a set of core values that are your drivers, the reason why you make decisions. And when you then marry that up with your needs, you get a very clear compass of what it is that you will or will not feel in or out of integrity around. So integrity really is an issue of Is this sitting well with me? Does this feel right? Does this align with what my needs and my values are? And do I have a set of core values that are the critical three to five things that make me function the way I do? And what are the other values that I might say? Well, you know, this is a value of mine.
1: It's interesting because you know how people... Do you feel that some people just say those buzzword ones that you mentioned? Cause those are the ones that come to mind and they sound good and they sound like, right. You know, like not righteous. They sound like a virtuous, good person, (laughs) but I mean, sometimes it's like, but are those actually yours or is that just that those? yeah. So when you work through this with people, how do they, do you give them like a list of 20 and they highlight the ones that resonate or how does it work?
2: So I've got this whole amazing exercise in the book that I've been working with people and companies and individuals with for years now, and I've refined it and and developed it over the years. So what I've done in the book is I've put this exercise where essentially you've got maybe a 100 values to just go through and have a look at and say, well, which ones resonate with me? Select those, let's get them down to a specific number and then let's pitch them against each other to really understand how yours work for you. And my whole take on respect and trust and honesty, et cetera, is that those should be a given. You know, trust, respect, and um, honesty, those should be the things that we naturally accept as part of who we are, unless we're, you know, a raging narcissist, et cetera. And I do put a piece in the book about narcissism and values. But essentially, if you go beyond that, then you'll work out what your actual values are. So let me give you an example. My own personal core values are uh, freedom, helpfulness, curiosity, and um, communication. So for me, I will naturally gravitate towards anything that involves freedom. And I will naturally be very averse to anything that's going to risk compromising my freedom.
1: Oh, no wonder we're good friends. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) I love to have flexibility in everything I do, and I'm not someone who would make a great employee if I had to punch someone's time clock. I'm not good with that. If someone tried to shut me up and say, look, you know, we can't have you talking about uh, anything for a whole day or three, I would be stifled because my values would be that I wouldn't be communicating in some way. Mm. So when my values are out of alignment, uh, that means that I'm not in integrity. So if I'm being stifled in those ways, and, and there have been times in the past where, of course, you have jobs, you know, especially when you're young and people don't necessarily understand the concept of how to relate to you based on what your values are, then being held back or being promoted or being put into a situation that is out of alignment with what your needs are and your values are, then that's going to be an issue for you. So when you understand these things about yourself, it makes it so much easier to navigate your life planning. And because freedom is one of my core values, flexibility is something that I need. I desperately need to be flexible and to have an ability to navigate my way in and out of opportunities where I've always got a backup plan or an ability to see another way of doing something if something went wrong. It's just part of what my needs are. I also need to be on the move. I need to be mobile. I need to, uh, you know, all those things that relate to my my freedom value. So when you understand what your freedom, uh, what your values are in relation to what your needs are, and the same exercises in the book that you basically work out, well, which ones are yours? And everyone's different. So for example, someone might have a core value of uh, risk, you know, being okay with risk. I am someone who is prepared to jump out of an aeroplane. I need adventure, and then you might have someone else whose core value is risk, but actually doesn't need to have adventure. They may have a need for um, for security. So risk might be a core value, but they might work amazingly well in the industry of security, or they may need to have really good financial security, but not have the same need for adventure that someone else who has a need or has a value of risk. May say, well, you know, I need to be able to go and have adventure. One of my core cool values is to get out there and feel the adrenaline. So it's it's a it's a complex thing. And when you also look then at the other V word, which is value, uh, sorry, virtues. Virtues are what we used to talk about in in old fashioned family ways. Of these are the virtues we have. You know, our family virtues are. Well, most people have the virtues of honesty, reliability, uh, things that that make you who you are. But that's not the same as values and it's not the same as needs. So I might be an honest person. Uh, Well, I am an honest person. That's a virtue. That's not necessarily one of my core values. So there's a whole section in the book also about like Benjamin Franklin Uh, was very young when he wrote a list of 13 virtues that he felt were the things that we all need to be able to have to step into our lives and go forth and do what we need to do in this world. And there were some things like temperance in his list uh, and love and connection. So some of those things are also evaluated in the book.
1: A few things coming up for me that I want to touch on. Number one, I love the, how you highlighted the link between values and needs. And I think it's such a great time right now where so many people are reevaluating their values and their needs. Like you were talking about the flexibility and the freedom. I'm so triggered though, by the word virtue, (laughs) (laughs) right? Because for me in the past three years, I've seen so much what we call virtue signaling, which Mm -hmm. to me is people trying to be seen to be doing the right thing, and not in my view really thoroughly thinking through what they're projecting and i'm talking about photos they might put on facebook you know or the rings they put around their facebook profile um mm. so that's interesting isn't it it's like sometimes virtues how much of it is innate and it's within you and it's how you show up versus it's kind of how you want to be known what do you say yes. to that well um look i think that
2: when people are being aware of their actual values and understanding how to articulate those, uh, then the virtue thing becomes almost something that is a a secondary issue. Mm. You know, virtuous. You know, we we talk about virtues and virtuosity and being virtuous, and it's quite an old fashioned concept. So I don't tend to dwell on that very much. I tend to prefer to come back into the whole issue of values because if you are a person for whom values are not um, respect, honesty, and, and trust as just part of who you are, then you're going to come across as being someone who people that look for that are going to sort of notice. I just think that that's how how life works. Um, and I may be naive in that, in that respect, and I fully respect that, fully understand that, I should say. But if you are someone who understands what your values are, and if kindness for example is one of your values and you step into that and you know how to articulate that kindness is a value and it may not even be a core value but it may be one of the the lesser ones so i'm my argument with with values is that you've got maybe three to five core values that will mm-hmm. probably never change in your whole life but you may have other ones that come up for you every now and then like uh fairness for example or yes independence or flexibility or um, things that are other things that you classify as being part of your value space, but they're not the the three or five main ones. Yeah, that's cool and they may change and evolve as your life changes and evolves. But you need to know how to articulate what your values are. So let's say let's talk about curiosity uh, if if curiosity is a value for you, well how do you live that? How do you make that part of your daily life? Do you, do you understand it well enough to be able to say, one of my core values is curiosity. I love to know things, so I will investigate. It's as simple as that. Uh, companies who stick things on their walls and say, well, you know, our, our values are service, quality, uh, respect and integrity. So like, hang on, seriously, quality should be a given unless you're a $2 junk shop. Um, uh, service should be a given why are you saying that service is one of your values if you're a company that's not one of your brand values but let's look at things like knowledge as a customer as a as a brand value knowledge might be something that because it's a brand value we will hire based on what people know we will hire curious curious people who are also willing to share their knowledge who would like to dig deeper in their knowledge. We as a company with a core value of knowledge will step into high-quality training as part of what Mm. we deliver as part of our service. So our people are knowledgeable. Our customer service backup is based with knowledgeable people. This is one of our core values. So you see there's a difference when companies, and companies are a great example of people who don't necessarily understand the concept of values and how to demonstrate them. But the ones that do, and let's take Virgin, for example.
1: Yeah, because even in the hiring process, when you explained that last one, I was like, not that I want a job job like ever again, yeah. but I I was like, oh, that sounds like a good place to work. Yeah. So even and in the hiring process, explaining to someone at a cocktail party what you do or where you work, or in the hiring process, yeah, having that link between the buzzword, um, and it's not just some rando buzzword that everyone uses. It's it's really been well thought through. So I love that.
2: Yeah. And you know, you look at someone like you know Richard Branson. His core value is one of his three primary core values, as, as I understand it, is fun. Everything for him has to be about fun and thinking outside the box. So. He likes to do things in a disruptive way. Uh, when you work at Virgin, or that it used to be, my first experience with a Virgin Airlines flight was where everyone sang "Happy Birthday" to a ten-year-old on the plane, and they had the funny, you know, introduction of, you know, the, the the safety guidelines, and you know, no smoking in the toilet because, you know, actually that's a hidden camera; it's not a it's not a smoke detector. Funny things that you actually thought, oh, this is a different kind of flight. But fun is one of Virgin's most um, most well-known value, core cool value as a company value, which reflects Richard's own values. But um, that's how you can say we want to attract people who understand the concept of fun because that's one of our company's core cool values. So we don't take people on who are, you know, sour and down in the mouth and don't <laughs> want to have some fun with their work.
1: I love that you mentioned that. I literally just put together like an info sales page, you know, for my upcoming retreat. And I I say, you know, the, most of the women I work with are both fun and focused. Like I literally didn't intentionally throw in those words that I guess are values. I didn't even think of fun as a value, but now I see that it is. Yes. So yay.
2: Yeah. We should do a values, um, analysis for you. And, yeah. um, uh, and actually go through and work out what your brand values are and what your personal values are and what you then want to articulate about what you're you're doing with Up Your Brave and how that aligns with your values. You might find it quite transformational. You'll probably identify that you are naturally already doing a lot of that. But when you read this book and you actually get your head into the space of this is how it works and these are the differences between what we value What we think of as our values and our core values, then everything makes sense when you then align that up with your needs.
1: Because exactly, it's not just a process, right, of doing it and going, "Oh, that was interesting." It's like we need to then live it. Because if you're not living your values, is this right? This is my languaging I use. Is like when when we're living out of alignment, it shows up in poor health and poor relationships. We're frustrated or bitter or resentful so do you see is it the same thing with values it's like when we're not living in alignment with our values yeah you're gonna know
2: <laughs> so you know like in the when when we we're dealing with uh everything in the lockdowns over the last few years and freedom is a value for a lot of people right especially living in the you know the western world value as a freedom is compromised hugely when you are locked down So there was an awful lot of very, very unhappy people who weren't coping because that value wasn't being allowed to be expressed. Communication is another one that wasn't being allowed to be expressed because people were having something to say about the unfairness that they felt was happening or not being felt that they were being heard. And so communication was a value that for a lot of people was being compromised.
1: So it did impact on their health. And similarly, I got to jump in here because those two that you said, this is maybe a little bit of an aha moment for me, because I've been going, how can so many people still not see, you know, Mm. how can, but the thing is, Nat, maybe freedom and communication aren't in their top five values. And that's why it really doesn't bother them. Like they didn't go and sign, you know, the petition about Mm. freedom or whatever. Is that, is that, is that a relevant point? That's, That's a great point. Yeah. I
2: think you're right. I think that Not everybody understands the concept well enough to think that, uh, you know, that they need to take action, that they need to express themselves in that way. But if you're, if one of your values is around Mm. that, then you will feel the need to be part of that. It's like, let's say, for example, um, the election is coming up. When people start thinking about whether they're going to care enough to vote one way or the other, if they know what their values are, then those values will be what they will be tapping into, even if they don't know what they are, but those values that they have will be what they tap into when they start to think about how they're going to vote or even if they're going to vote. You know, people who have a strong sense of justice will be voting one way versus someone who has a strong sense of, um, I'm trying to think, um, pleasure might might vote a completely different way people who are really focused on fairness will be really concerned about what the outcomes are of those of those polls you know are they right did they do the right thing um so values play into our lives in so many ways i want to just touch on in that family values so for example family values we think about you know little house on the prairie and you know old-fashioned family values and, and, and years gone by and, and you know, we used to make it a common thing that one of our family values was to sit and eat around the table together. And then when you say that out loud, you make you might think about the Walton's family dinners, you know, past the peas, past, past the black eyed peas. But when you start to think about values and core cool values as part of your family dynamic, and I, I practiced this and lived this with my own children over the years and I write about it in the book. When you understand as a family what your family values are, and I have this exercise in the book that actually helps you map out what some of them might be. And it might be things like we will connect regularly or we will support each other. And that means that we will go to each other's events, functions, sports games, you know, hero moments, celebrations, etc. Uh, If one of our family values is that we will look after our elderly, then this is how that works. We will make sure that our parents are appropriately acknowledged and looked after and checked in on. Or it might be that one of our family values is that, you know, freedom and exploration. We will take our children and we will travel on a regular basis once every two, three years, whatever. Uh, So we write this as part of our family values. Um, And then you might have things like, well, once a year, we're going to have a meeting to make sure we're all still doing the rules of engagement around our family values. I asked my own children when I was writing this book what they thought about the whole concept of values in their growing up and what they what they remembered as being values. And I mean, they're both adults now with wives and children of their own. And they both came back and they said, fairness and um, independence were the core values that they remember bringing, uh, being, being brought up with. Now, fairness meant that we all had this attitude of, well, if that's not fair, if you're going to treat your brother like that, that's not fair. If you're going to you know, lose something that I've worked hard to buy for you, that's not fair. So that's why you're going to look after your stuff. Uh, you're going to respect you know, your brother's space in his room or whatever because that's part of being fair because you wouldn't want him to be in your room or in your space. It's fair for us to go and support each other. Same with independence, and they've both grown up and travelled the world and, and you know, been incredibly fiercely independent throughout their whole lives, but they remember that that was one of the values we had as a family, as a set of family values growing up, and they still live those, and, and it was great and easy to bring up children based on the fact that we understood the concept of the family values. These were the house rules. There weren't many, but they all came back to that. and. You know, when you're talking about family values, how do you then live them? It doesn't have to be more than two or three of them, but what are the rules for your family based on your family values?
1: So it it reminds it's so valuable to do, and I guess it's the kind of thing that people might go, Oh, that sounds like a good idea, but actually having that family meeting, like you said, and sitting around and it's a collaborative effort. It's not like the parents going, These these are the values, and this is I think, mm. I would imagine it would be collaborative. Yeah. It reminds me when um, my husband and I used to work at Outward Bound and we'd have the students come in and you make like a contract, right? You do this, we do this in team building as well in the corporate space. And you'd make like a, a contract. So with the values or whatever that everyone's kind of agreeing to. I think it's a really important thing to do when you've got groups of people, be they whether they're staff members or family. Have you seen some real shifts in the work that you've done um, creating these kind of um, values agreements, I suppose, with, let's say, staff members?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, you know, if, if, this, if the company understands what the values are, so there was a, an IT company that I consulted to for a long time a few years ago, and we went through this entire process of identifying what their values were and how they were going to articulate those. So it made a difference to their hiring. It made a difference to how they structured their entire training um, initiatives. Uh, It meant that they, because they're an IT company, it meant that their whole concept of how do we deal with the knowledge that we share? In fact, one of their values was knowledge, which is why I used that example before. How do we make sure that the knowledge that is being shared throughout the entire company is actually given credence and, and made a priority from not only the help desk people, but all the way through to those who are doing the research and sharing it? So the knowledge was one thing, but sharing it was another part. So it meant that the entire company had a process of one, helpfulness was one of their values, knowledge was another one. And so how did they make that come alive in their company? It went right through from everything they did from the the minute someone was hired to when they were uh, inducted into the company, when they they started, the uh, assigning of a buddy to be helpful for someone settling in for the first time for the first week or so um, to make sure that they understood the values of the company as well. Um, and then, again, how they, how they did the whole process of developing the training and the development of the company as a strong knowledge-based company. So it did make a huge difference because although they were sort of doing some of that up to that point, when they really started to embrace the whole concept of it, I'm just trying to think what their third one was, That we uh, what the other two were, but I remember helpfulness and knowledge. It made such a difference to how everybody then pulled together and said, this is who we are as a company. This is what we do. This is why we're here. So it, it also brings in a whole lot of discussion for a lot of people about, well, when you know why you're doing something and you have the purpose, and as Simon Sinek says, and I quote him in the book as well, when you know why you're doing what you're doing, then people will buy into that. But you can't know what your why is unless you know what the values are behind why you're doing anything. And the thing is with values is that a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, our values this and our values that, and we know what our values are. But in actual fact, not many people sit there and help people identify how to understand this stuff and take them through a process of, this is how you identify them. This is how you live them. This is how you articulate them so that they matter as part of your why or your purpose. That phrase so that you said, yeah.
1: the phrase that you said, um, how do you make them come alive? Mm. I think is so that's great because it really, it's like, okay, yeah, these are the these are the buzzwords, these are the values. We've got them written down in our policies or on our wall, but how do you make them come alive? Not not just now and then, but like every day in the company. Yeah. And I think that can get the staff members on board. Brilliant.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, you, if you've got a a, a, a thing for um, helpfulness, no, let's let's say fun. If fun and caring is part of your values as a company, then why not make it that uh, you know you deliberately create fun days or fun events, and that you make sure that people understand why you're doing these incredibly funny and. Int- Valentine's note giving, mystery note giving things as part of your company, you know, fun value you honor, you know, once a year, or um, you know, for all the single people, but for all the, everybody else, just to say, hey, you know, you feel valued, you feel feel nurtured here, and we're going to have some fun with this. Um, you know, the same with how you might might celebrate Christmas or um, Halloween or any other thing, or how you do birthdays within the company for each other or as teams. If you bring in the values, then it actually explodes the whole concept and makes it so easy to enjoy the work that you do as well. And that's another thing that, um, well, I haven't really gone into this a lot in the book, but if you are working in a place where your values are aligned with the company, then you're going to enjoy your work more. So from, a, from an employer's point of view, if your values are well articulated and you've employed people based on a great fit of values, then you have the ability to ensure that those people are loving their work. They are therefore more productive. Those people are going to feel more like they fit. They will feel that sense of family and familiarity because those values are being understood and articulated on an everyday basis. So you're gonna have better, better uh productivity, better retention of staff, mm-hmm. easier to find great people who fit really well with your company. And I think even take that to relationships. You know, um, I'm I'm single for the, for the last few times that I've dated them on a serious basis. I've made them go through values <laughs> and needs <to> exercise. <laughs> and it's made a difference to whether or not we're aligned with uh with something that. That is workable as a relationship. If you've got a complete misalignment of values, then you're going to know straight away. It's also a great way of identifying who is um, someone you should best avoid.
1: Yeah, so helpful, so helpful. Hey, I would love to ask you a little bit more about the books. Like, um, so why is this book part of your the taboo conversations series?
2: Yes, it is. Uh, I decided to make it that because last or about five years ago, I wrote a book called That Sex Book, which was all about uh, the conversations that we need to have more often in order to uh, understand sex and sexuality, especially in our mid-years, um, conversations we have with our kids, conversations we have with our parents. And when we're in our 50s, you know, everything shifts around sex and sexuality for a lot of people. And, you know, I like to say there are two kinds of people in this world: those who think sex is important at any age and everybody else. And so for people who think that sex is still an important thing to be talking about in midlife and beyond, um, with you know, across generational, then this was a great book to have a lot of fun with. So it also dealt with dating and, um, you know, midlife picking up or creating or recreating or rejuvenating old career uh, old relationships as well. But I called it part of the taboo conversations because it was one of those uh, things that it was quite clear quite quickly that not everybody likes to talk about sex and sexuality. That's fine. But I called that the word, Um, I've put that into the series because I'd like to do more books about things that we don't talk about easily or well. And I think when we're talking about values, and of course, there's all this whole thing going on in the world at the moment about don't say the V word, which is all about vaccinations. Um, the, The concept of having these deep level conversations about values is something that not everybody wants to do not everybody wants to understand it not everybody sees the need to understand it and so because I feel really strongly that if we did and if we did have those conversations uh, then life would be better for, for us on so many levels across the board then why not add it into this this series so the next series will be probably based around either death or grief again conversations we don't commonly like to have
1: We'll, yeah, we'll have we'll have to have you back on when you do that one it's interesting <laughs> because there's values um and what we've had a lot of issues in the past few years with friendships and relationships with differences in opinions on things but mm. so maybe it's like let's change gear let's change the conversation to like values and maybe that can help bring people back together
2: yeah that's a really good point I like that yeah
1: because
2: you know there, there's there's only so much exhaustion you can apply to certain topics <laughs> before it starts to feel like you need to shift them.
1: Exactly. Hey, I'm going to change the order of my last four questions because I'd love to ask you, how can people get the book? If they're keen to go, they go, okay, I've heard of values. I did it like 10 years ago. I did something about values, but I'm, I'm keen to revisit. How can they get their hands on your book?
2: Okay, so essentially look it up on Amazon. It's mm-hmm. all over Amazon at the moment, which is great and doing very well there. Thank you very much to everyone who's already purchased or pre-purchased the the, uh, the pre-orders. Um, but also you can go to DixieCarlton.com and forward slash books or Dixie's nonfiction books. And you'll see everything in there about not only the V word that V word book, um, but also it'll take you straight to a page that specifically has things like um, preview sample, um, chapter, um, a lot more about it, some of what people are saying about the book as well. And so, yeah, DixieCarlton.com.
1: And you'll see a tab there for books. Amazing. I'm going to spell it for everybody. D-I-X-I-E Carlton, C-A-R-L-T-O-N yes. dot com. Um, is it paperback and ebook or just ebook paperback ebook uh, it will be available in bookstores if you go into bookstores
2: from next week you'll be able to uh, from this book from this week as well Um, you'll probably if you the thing with bookstores and I work in publishing industry so I I know that this is a, a challenge for most people anytime you go into a bookstore if you can't find the book you want go up to the counter and ask them to order it for you because there is a worldwide process of them being able to order a book in for you and every bookstore can't carry every book in the world Uh, so that's something that people need to know
1: about. Great idea. Okay. So march on in and they can ask for that V word by Dixie Carlton. Okay. So I'm going to ask you my four questions We're three left. Um, <laughs> what is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave?
2: Um, A uh, couple of things. One was I decided to uh, bring it into a relationship that I was in that had been very successful and very enjoyable for five years. But uh, had reached its natural conclusion and it was a values issue that actually mm-hmm. brought that to an end, um, but remained friends with with him and uh and that also took some navigating and some some use of my own values or buying into my, uh, sorry, leaning into my own values to make that happen.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the other thing was was that I um reconsidered how I want to live as a digital nomad. And so I'm taking some big steps towards that over the next or over the last year and going forward so that I can work more often from anywhere and travel more. So, yeah,
1: with your values of it. freedom and flexibility and what is adventure yeah. one of your values as well?
2: No, no, it's not actually. Um, curiosity is. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, yeah. Uh, I like to learn things, I like to discover things, but I'm not uh, I'm not adventurous per se. I'm actually a bit of a homebody. So leaning into being more flexible about my living arrangements, where and how I live, mm. uh, it's something that I've, I've really, you know, like I've decided not to rebuy a house or rent and maybe even put everything into storage for a year or so and just travel and knowing that I can work from anywhere, which is great. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's cool. That's
1: I've got another friend who just did that same thing she actually is just you know kind of I've got one friend that bought a one-way ticket to the UK and she you know she sold her bed she sold her bike and she sold her car and and then another friend and she plans to come back but you know one-way ticket and no plan no job you know and um and another friend that just she's still got her online business but she's um, basically rented out her house and just traveling New Zealand and now's the time. I mean, it's like, people are like, Oh, when I'm older, I'll do that. No, do it now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do it now. Um, you know, one of the things that,
2: uh, I've been working on quite solidly for the last few years is that because I work with other authors and I develop them as, as an experts coach or as a publishing coach, I am able to work from anywhere. So my business is now just taken on a slightly different, uh, s- operational function of being able to, um, 99% of what I do is, is on zoom or, uh, as long as I've got a computer a laptop and an internet, I can, yeah. you know, service and, and and do what I need to do for my clients and their books and their, their speaking things that they do.
1: There you go. So if you are out there listening and you are an asp- aspiring, um, author, you can, but you don't know where to start. You can get in touch with Dixie and she can help you with that. She can help you from anywhere what is something on your bucket list something you'd love to do be or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with
2: um well I would love to be uh on a red carpet one day um I'd love to go and have a red carpet experience so if anyone's you know uh knows that you know someone fabulous needs a hot date uh, <laughs> for a red carpet experience please let me know um or uh, so I'm working on a couple of books that might actually, kind of help get there one day but uh, the other thing I really want to do is to go and live in Europe for a year at some point that's kind of on my bucket list but I'm very very blessed in that because my life has kind of taken the twists and turns that it has I am able to look back on all of my previous bucket list items and know that I've ticked off at least 70 maybe 80% of those over the years. So I know that I'm good at making things happen. So red carpet, it's got my name on it sometime. And one day you'll find me living in Rome for a year. I'm sure.
1: Love it. Name it and claim it. It's amazing. Okay. So the (laughs) next one I normally say, what's coming up and how can we connect with you? We know your website, but what is coming up for you in the next few months? Um, And is there anywhere else we should look for you like LinkedIn or Instagram or anything?
2: Definitely LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, a big fan of LinkedIn um, and I think all authors need to be on LinkedIn so find me on LinkedIn and um, please reach out anytime. The other thing is the, that's coming up for me is I'm heading off to the Frankfurt Book Fair next month. It's uh, it actually in October but I'm leaving for Europe in September uh, because I like to go over to the frankfurt book fair which I've, I've been to a couple of times before and i take uh i represent some of my author's books over there Amazing. and it's always a very big exciting thing so <laughs> one of the things that i'm also hoping is on my bucket list is to actually strike it great with a major bestseller or a book that uh, might not even be my own but a book that uh that i've worked with or, or been part of developing um uh, that gets into a movie scenario and i'm kind of been close a couple of times so those are the kind of places where that sort of thing starts to really unfold but the frankfurt book fair is enormous um and so the biggest event of of its kind in the year with publishers from everywhere so oh my gosh
1: do if you can do some facebook lives or something while you're there for us
2: actually that's a really good idea i will probably do that yeah dixie carlton here
1: reporting from the frankfurt book (laughs) fair (laughs)
2: yeah but you know um, if anyone wants to connect with me find me on my website there's so much information there about what i do how i do it and um you know i I, I love to connect with people who have read my books and uh you know wanting to give feedback but the other thing too is that if you grab my book at the moment until the end of this month if you buy my book And you download some of the free resources because in the book, there are these exercises. But if you want to do the full size pages, et cetera, rather than write in your book, then go and grab the the resource pack. And then you can actually access the option to sign up for one of a limited number of free coaching sessions. Okay. But I will take you through what to do next after you've identified what your values and needs are. And I would like to make that part of an ongoing 12-month case study that I will then write about in the um, amended version or updated version of the book next year.
1: Ooh, so, that sounds exciting. So how do they do that? They go to DixieCarlton.com? They buy the book first and Got then it. from the book, they uh, they can download the
2: resources, find, the, find their way to the right page, download the resources, and they can get a $250 uh, quality level coaching session with me free, but it is limited to a certain number of people. And uh, there is a certain amount of selection that will go into that because they do need to be willing to allow me to do a case study write up on on what's changed for them. Yeah. So the book will be updated in a year's time uh, with some case study information in it.
1: Very cool. Amazing. All right. Hey, before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you'd love to share with our audience today, either talking about that V-word or any other message you've got to share?
2: Um, no, actually, thank you so much, Natalie. I mean, I love Up Your Brave. I think it's an incredible program that you do. And um, I love the way women in particular are starting to find how to lean into ourselves and and trust ourselves more. And so, you know, just want to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing and, and how you are making it so much easier for so many of us to to. Tr- up our brave and trust our ability to be brave so just want to say kudos to you thank you
1: oh thank you very much that's very lovely of you and um i'm excited for the impact that you're you've had so much impact already and that you're having more with this new book so congratulations we've been talking to dixie maria carlton and on the topic of that v word thanks dixie thanks natalie
0: you're listening to up your brave on rcr reality check radio
1: well i hope you enjoyed that interview with dixie carlton we were talking all about values in this interview we mentioned the link between values and needs we talked about family values um and looking after our elderly supporting each other in activities and basically coming back to what is it all about and how and, and knowing that there's freedom to align to your core values in your job in your life in your business etc in your relationships um, thank you so much, Dixie. Amazing. You guys can follow Dixie. You can um, go and she's she's amazing with her book. Um, you can go and have a look at that. Dixiecarlton.com. And she's also very prominent on LinkedIn. So you can look her up. Dixie with a D-I-X-I-E, carlton.com.
5: Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to www.realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.
1: Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show with Natalie cutler Welsh here on Reality Check Radio. Our next guest is Glenn Thomas. He is co-founder of the Gold Survival Guide. He's also father of one and avid body surfer. We're going to be talking today about gold, silver, and much, much more. Welcome to the show, Glenn.
4: Yeah, hey, Natalie, thanks a lot for having me. Much appreciated uh, yeah, for getting me along.
1: Well, it's awesome to have you on the show. And I know you did an interview um, a couple months back with one of my co-hosts, Paul. So that it, that's awesome. And it's so good to have you back to be talking about gold and silver. I can't wait. Uh, before we dive in, though, can you give our listeners a little bit of backstory? How did you get into this area?
4: Yeah, well, I, I probably got interested in precious metals quite a long time ago, back in the sort of early 2000s, I think, when I, I, think, I think I probably first started reading some stuff maybe from Robert Kiyosaki or someone like that. So I kind of went on from there and I subscribed to various other some financial newsletters and so forth. And one of those actually um, led me to go to an event here in New Zealand where the chief economist was speaking at at this event. And they're quite into you know, public, uh, publishing information about precious metals. And so at, at that event, I actually met my now business partner, David. We happened to be at the same uh, table. And so I kind of got to talk talking to him and, and, and a couple of others. And so out of that kind of came something along the lines of, well, there's not really anyone writing about precious metals here in New Zealand. All the stuff we were reading was all very US-centric. It pretty much all came out of the US, really, not, not, a, not didn't really send anything from anywhere else. So yeah, we just kind of went, oh well, let's uh, let's do something. So we kind of just started this website up and started writing some information on there. And it was we were more thinking we were gonna like do some kind of investment newsletter and talk about David who was quite into like mine, gold mining shares and things, and so he knew quite a lot about that. So we thought we were gonna do that. But in the end, we got lots of questions around um Actual physical gold and silver, like you know, where do you buy it, and you know who do you trust, and where do you go? And these were in the days when there weren't actually like websites weren't massively common. So, like some of the refiners here in New Zealand didn't even have a website themselves. So, yeah, like long story short, we kind of got those types of questions, and then from there we kind of went. Actually, maybe we should like start selling the stuff ourselves. It was kind of how it evolved, and it happened quite kind of fast. I guess it probably was about six months after we started the website where we were still trying to work out what our model was and it kind of got delivered to us by i guess listening to the questions that people were asking basically so yeah and from there we, we started selling it started out pretty small it was just like a hobby business this is back in two this is around the financial crisis time back in 2008 2009 um so yeah it started out well Kind of sideline hobby type thing, and then just kind of steadily grew until it became our main, our main kind of business, and we stopped doing other stuff and started doing this, you know, full time basically. Um, so yeah, so it kind of went from servicing like a just a handful of people to like you know growing quite a lot, and yeah, now we've got clients. We're still mostly in New Zealand, but we've got clients um, in the US and you know Australia some UK, you know, kind of a bit of everywhere, really. So, um, yeah, that's like the, I don't know how long that was, one-minute backstory of kind of how, like, Gold Survival Guide kind of arose. And that's probably why, that's sort of how we got our name. It sort of sounds like a bit apocalyptical, like, you know, we're expecting the end of the world sort of thing with the whole survival thing. But it was more around, like, you know, a survival guide of how to understand precious metals because it's kind of a confusing topic for people that are new to it. So, that was how the name actually arose even though it's maybe a bit of a double play on words kind of thing. And that, you know, it it potentially could be about survival if things got really bad. Um, Well,
1: I mean, it's, it's a hot topic, you know, at the moment. And I think I didn't realize you guys had been around so long. I think I must've become your customer about three, maybe three and a half years ago when people were starting to talk about how it was a good idea to, you know, get, get some silver, or some gold, and be prepared uh, for whatever it was coming. And I became your customer. And then I, a few, I think a few year, a year or so later, I ended up meeting David and I'm like, oh my goodness, uh, we've become friends. So I'm really excited to dive into this topic. I want to do the, the W's, what I call them, like the what, why, the W, the what, why, how, where, and all the things. So what, I guess it's like, why would someone buy silver and gold compared to traditional methods of, you know, financial opportunities and investments, which would be like having, you know, stocks and bonds and shares and money in the bank in a long-term account. So what is it all about? Like, why would someone do it?
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess everybody's got different reasons as to why they might do it. I think maybe they might not say this out loud, but probably one of the main reasons I think myself in terms of the why is what makes gold and silver different from basically all other financial assets is that gold and silver have no counterparty risk, which sounds kind of complicated, but I mean, it's actually not. Counterparty just means that someone else is on the other side of any trade that you do and you're relying upon them remaining solvent and in business in order to you know get your investment back. So like if you looked at um, you know stocks or shares, depending on which country you're in, as to what you call them, um, you know, you're relying upon the actual company to remain trading and solvent so that, you know, you can sell your share when you want it to and you're relying upon them actually maybe doing better so the share price goes up. And if you look at other things like bonds, you're relying upon either the company or the government, you know, to remain solvent so that you get your money back in the future. You know, the return of your investment as well as the return on. So that's a counterparty as well. And if you look at, say, property, like most people are going to have a mortgage on it, so you're kind of reliant upon the bank. Then talking about banks, I guess is another good point. If you're talking about cash in the bank, you're actually um, your cash in the bank is the, is the bank's liability. So you're relying upon the bank actually remaining solvent and being able to um, return your money to you when you say, you know, knock knock, I want my however many dollars back. Um, so. Yeah, and and I guess that is kind of a key difference here in New Zealand. That's likely to change in the next couple of years as there's some legislation, um, you know, a, a bill that's sort of been recently passed. But here in New Zealand, we don't actually have any um, bank deposit guarantees, or you know, like, like sometimes it's called deposit insurance. But basically, if a bank fails, in most other countries, say in the U.S. or Australia, there's like a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars that is guaranteed of your money currency i should really say not money because i don't call cash money i call it currency um your currency that you'll get it back again so um in in new zealand that actually isn't the case if a bank fails here in new zealand then we have what's called the open bank resolution which simply means that the reserve bank shuts the bank down and quickly sees what assets it's got left and then works out what percentage it can give back or make available to its customers so which means you might get a haircut and like lose 50% of what you had in the bank. So, as I said, that is changing, and there will be the, the the bank deposit guarantee to come in probably at the end of next year, depending upon how long they take to finally roll that out, but um, yeah, that's still a little way off. So that's a key difference in terms of banks and in terms of deposits here in New Zealand compared to just about every other country in the Western world. Maybe Israel might not have one as well. I think they're about the only other one off the top of my head, but... Um, yeah, that's quite a big difference here. So I'm probably
1: yeah. not the only one listening thinking, I had no idea. I had no idea about that. And when you explain it like that, and as well as with the the stocks or the the shares, it makes those things seem very volatile and um like a bit of a gamble. Yeah. So I, I guess it's like I love to support a small bank, you know, but I'm like, oh gosh, that makes Interesting. I didn't realize that. I mean, for me personally, I, I guess it was about three years ago when I started to listen, you know, get on listen to Rumble or Odyssey or um follow a few people on Telegram, just some different locations instead of just getting fed the same news that we hear everywhere. And I started thinking about my family's, you know, future and thinking, well, it sounds smart to me. Rather than putting this extra thousand dollars in the bank, I'm gonna buy a thousand dollars worth of silver. And I didn't start with a thousand, I probably started with like. worth. And I was like, what can I get for this? And I got some Canadian coins, you know, for nostalgia. Um, but for me, it was partly, I guess, kind of an insurance policy of sorts thinking. And also I had heard rumors about, um, you know, the federal reserve is going to eventually kind of crumble and we're going to go back to a gold back currency that is not just about, you know, printing money, at nauseum. Um, and so it's a really good idea. And this, and that's when silver and gold, which have been suppressed, um, are gonna go up. That's that was my logic. That was my thinking. And um, how <laughs> accurate or not?
4: <laughs> were you on the right ballpark, or were you, yeah. you you weren't I don't think you were completely wrong, I and mean, I'd say you were largely right because I can't disagree with too much of that. Probably to touch upon a few of the things you said there. I think you said like you saw it as a bit of an insurance policy, and that's yeah. kind of We like to talk about it, like call it wealth insurance. And I mean, you could compare that when you insure something like a house or whatever, you're like thinking of the possible risks, like my house might burn down or there's a flood or there's a storm or whatever. And so I want to be able to get my house rebuilt again, you know, in the aftermath. And so I guess that would be one way to look at gold and silver is from that kind of banking situation is one way to look at it particularly here in new zealand is that if you've got some cash in the bank well you really should have some gold and silver to kind of counteract that because if if you lose that cash that's in the bank you can't lose the gold and well you can lose the gold and silver if you don't look after it properly but i mean effectively it's still going to be then it can't be taken away from you because you know sorry gold and silver company went, went bust as long as you've got the physical stuff yourself you're going to get it back again. So. That's like the insurance policy part of things. I think that you talked about that is exactly right, and it's also an insurance policy policy against other things like which is which are kind of guaranteed. It's like an insurance policy that you're going to you're going to get something back on almost. I can almost say I can't really quite say guaranteed, but effectively the thing I can guarantee is that there's going to be a continual continual loss of purchasing power because we've seen that for the last hundred years basically, and particularly for the last like. Uh, i was going to say 30 but now it's more like getting closer to 50 i guess since the the last kind of link to gold in the monetary system was reviewed uh, removed back in the 70s so because of that you can you kind of guarantee that there's going to you're going to lose purchasing power every year or what people might call inflation but it's one opposite side of the same coin kind of thing you know are you losing purchasing power or are the prices of stuff going up well the prices of stuff aren't really going up you are just the dollar that we use or whatever currency in the world it might be where you're sitting now that's going down is really what it is and so yeah it's useful to measure that against something and at the moment we measure it against other countries and we say you know the new zealand dollar has gone down against the us dollar etc cetera, etc cetera, but they're kind of all just taking in turns to go down and they cycle through about which one's over, under or overperforming the other But in the long run, they're kind of all going down. That's actually what's happening. And so that's why I like to use um, gold and silver to measure the value of stuff rather than using dollars because it's kind of like – what's an analogy? It's kind of like trying to measure how long my house is with an elastic band. Like every time I do it, it's going to be kind of different because it depends how far I stretch the band sort of thing. So effectively, if you're trying to measure stuff in dollars – um, that's an elastic band because the amount of dollars in existence are constantly, you know, growing and getting larger. And in recent years, they've grown. It's grown a lot and quite fast. So, so that's why I think I like to measure things, which could be houses, it could be shares, it could be, um, it could be comparing gold and silver themselves. So measure them in ounces of gold and silver rather than in dollars. And then you can kind of do that on a historical basis and see how cheap things are or how expensive things are. So um, yeah, I think that's a useful a useful thing to do as well. So we've Not- talked a
1: little bit about what and why. I wanted to ask you another W, which is where? Because I think some people listening will be like, well, where do I store it? You don't have to say like, "You know, st- store it in a safe in your house would be great. But do, can they purchase it but not have it delivered like do you guys have storage facility or no how does that work
4: yeah yeah there are there are there's definitely there's, there's storage options um if you don't want to as you say if you don't want to have it in a safer home or mean you know, mean, people do all sorts of things with it and bury it in the backyard and there's all you know all sorts of stories that happen but yeah for sure there's there's actual um storage facilities wherever you are in the world and in, in new zealand we've got multiples of them as well and so yeah, effectively it can get delivered directly to a storage facility as well where you you know set up a safety deposit box of whatever size depending on how much you're buying and then you've got options to like insure ensure that as well against you know theft and stuff also so yeah there's definitely there's definitely multiple options in terms of um storage and then there's also other options that some people like it might depend how much wealth you've got and you know kind of what your sort of net worth is and other things but there's other options to actually store some of that elsewhere off, offshore as well. We've got um, a facility that we kind of partner with in Singapore. So that allows you to actually store some metal in another country, you know, as a further kind of safety net. And we, and we, on the flip side of that, we have the same, same thing here in New Zealand, where we have like people in the US looking to store some precious metals elsewhere as like a sort of a bolt hole or escape, you know, and they might also have a property or something here as well. Like, it's, you know, there's a lot, as much as we think things have been a bit crazy here in new zealand over the last few years like i think it's there's been a whole nother level happening in the us and certain parts of the us as well so they're on the flip side you know trying to trying to protect themselves as well so yeah so there's various storage options both here and abroad and it kind of depends upon the person's situation as to what might be the best thing for them yeah
1: with the COVID craziness that we've experienced in the past three years, did you see like a massive spike in just average members of the public like me coming and purchasing gold and silver? And where is it at now?
4: Yeah, we definitely, we saw various um, spikes. We saw like probably the biggest spike was in, uh, it was soon after all the real craziness happened. It must have been in 2020 and about June, I'd say off the top of my head. Um, And like other things, like the share market had crashed and, you know, other stuff like that had happened. And so it really got crazy, crazy busy there for like a period of time. And then that kind of calmed down to being not crazy busy, but being really solidly busy. And it's been like that, you know, for the last number of years, that probably changed maybe slightly towards the end of last year where it kind of just plateaued off to a higher level than what it was before. Um, and then probably in the new year of this year, it actually got things got relatively quiet. Um, and then we had the bank failures in the US that kind of stirred things up again and it got really busy in March. Mm. And since then, it's kind of quietened down again. And actually more recently, it's gotten really, really quiet. So like there's very few transactions that we're seeing on a on a daily basis now compared to say like a year ago. Um, so yeah, that's kind of interesting from a... Um, uh, like from a, it's it's useful for us we can kind of use it as almost like a gauge of where the price may go from what we've seen historically so when the demand actually gets really low on it from a retail perspective in terms of people actually buying that often seems to happen at kind of t- oh
1: it's glitching out it's glitching out you know what turn off your camera just turn off your camera and we'll just carry on with, I can imagine what you look like. Um, So you were just saying what, so what often happens is when, um, when there's demand goes down something about the price.
4: Yeah. So when, when demand actually um, is lower from a retail perspective, that's often when there's kind of turning points happen in the, in the price. So that's often when the price will actually start to, to To head back up again, um or at least it's, it sort of shows that it's bottomed out. And so, I mean, I don't I don't know anything for sure, but I think there's a reasonable chance that the the price is kind of getting you know it's 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 if it hasn't reached the bottom, it's very close. Just because there's actually very little demand, and when people people seem to like buying you know stuff like TVs and everything else on sale, but when it comes to investments, people seem to like buying things when the price has gone up. So. We often see demand actually increase as the price is higher, which is, you know, kind of the opposite time to when you should ideally be be buying. So, um, yeah, that's that's at the moment it's 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 definitely quieter in terms of demand, and so I think that likely means that you know we're probably at a good time to be buying. You know, kind of counterintuitively to what most people actually do.
1: Okay. So, and just to remind our listeners, so this is a very current interview. So right now we're interviewing, it's the 22nd of August. So you'll be listening to this. I'm going to publish it this week. So you guys will be listening to it um, on Friday this week. So everything Glenn is saying, what I'm trying to get from my audience is the most up-to-date current info for them. If they feel like they want to get gold or silver, or maybe they don't, but it's just good to have a little think about. I mean, I said to my parents probably a year ago, like you guys should really think about getting some gold and silver um, and then I think I reminded them again recently and, and, you know, messages from their daughter talking about, oh, the federal reserve is going to crumble and we're moving to a gold backed currency. And I don't know how much they, they take on board, but, um, I do think personally, it's a good idea for people to get some, you know, what, what, what I loved about your customer service, I'm not, so when I go to your website now, which is goldsurvivalguide.co.nz, it says we educate first, sell gold and silver second. So what I love about your website is you've got all you've got great education. You've got these videos and people can buy a book all about it. Now, I'm not the type of person that's going to sit and watch a thousand videos or buy a book. I'm just like, Hey Glenn, I want to, I've got 500 bucks. What can you do for me? You know? And it's just, you guys were so efficient and it was emailing, like you'd send me a quote and then I would accept the quote and then like I'd transfer the money and then we were done. It was like really simple but what i loved about it is i wasn't talking to some like ai robot thingy i was just emailing with probably either you or david or one of your staff members it was so efficient um and of course with gold like anything it's going to be a different price on a different day correct
4: yeah exactly it's a different price on a different minute it varies like you know every minute it's it's, the price is changing so yeah it, it varies from minute to minute and day to day um and and it can vary quite a lot it can be volatile but yeah at the moment it's kind of just hovering around the same kind of level which is maybe why there's a lack of interest because people you know it's a bit more obvious when the price is clearly rising or clearly falling you kind of know what you're getting whereas at the moment it's a little bit no man's landish maybe so that could be why you know people are kind of sitting on the fence waiting to see what happens before they before they jump in or not
1: yeah and also i know that um so people can get coins or bars is there i mean obviously a bar is heavier um, and harder to break as such. If you want to cash it out or exit strategy, um, it, it, I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a, any advice on that? Like, is it good to have a bit of both, or it's really just individual? Yeah, I mean,
4: choice? It's a lot of kind of individual choice. Um, I mean, there's some clear like pros and cons to both. Certainly, with um, bars are generally the the best value for money. You'll kind of get the most gold or silver, you know, for the dollars. that
1: See, you- I didn't even know that. That's a good tip.
4: Yeah. So. <laughs> So, that, so when we like in kind of technical industry talk, we, we say like the premium is lower, which the premium just means how much you pay above the spot price. So you see the spot price quoted on the evening news of gold, you know, it'll usually be in US dollars, which doesn't really help you necessarily that much if you're in New Zealand, but there's a New Zealand dollar spot price. And then there'll be a premium that you pay above that for the actual fabrication of the metal to turn it into something. And I guess the, 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 the why why silver coins are more expensive or gold coins is because there's more work involved, I guess, in in turning them into what they are. You know, like for a cast mm-hmm. bar, they just pour it into a mould. Um, I said just to make it sound really simple. It's not that simple. But effectively, they pour it into a mould and that's the – tip it out of the mould and that's a bar. Whereas a coin, that, that has to happen as well. But then it's got to be actually pressed and or minted or stamped to to create that coin as well. So there's more effort and more work that goes into it. So that's why the coins always, you know, cost a a bit more than what the the bars do. So in terms of like pros and cons, well, that's the obvious pro is that you get more gold or silver for your money for the bars. Um, But on the flip side, the coins have maybe got some benefits in that. Like a coin from a well-known mint is like really quite recognizable all around the world. I mean, bars can be well recognized as well. But then also the the coins can come in like a smaller format, like particularly for silver, like, you know, a silver coin is about like, just call it 40 to 50 bucks for round numbers. Um, You know, whereas a kilo bar of silver is another common way of buying. And that's, you know, in the like 13, 1400 vicinity sort of thing. So if you think about to kind of like worst case scenario kind of preparation type stuff, um, then, you know, silver coins effectively could be used for everyday transactions, you know, like for buying some groceries or whatever, um, whereas, you know, a $1,300 bar is a bit harder to like just, you know, buy 100 bucks worth of groceries kind of thing. So that might that's another reason maybe why some people are buying silver coins. And I think that from kind of what we've seen, we've definitely noticed in the last few years that the silver coin side of things has gotten more there's been more demand for that than what there was say four or five years ago. Like the majority of people were buying just bars really. Now we're probably seeing people buying, you know, a bit of both. So yeah, I guess to answer your question in short, I'd kind of sit on the fence and say, yeah, maybe, maybe a bit of both because you get value for money as well as the versatility of what coins give you. That would be my short answer.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when I watch various people on Rumble and YouTube and such, you know, and they talk about, you know, it's a good idea to get some and get some silver or gold, but silver is obviously, um, at the moment, it's cheaper than gold, which is why a lot of people start with silver. But does it have a little bit more room to grow? Meaning, can you, I know you can't really financially advise on this, but can you see that, you know, silver would it have um you know it might even triple in price you know in the next whatever um is is it a better investment or if people can afford to get gold because it's more expensive are they better off getting gold
4: yeah like well, uh, again it probably sort of comes down to a bit of personal choice but maybe some of the things to consider in making your personal choice is like you know how much you can handle some volatility because silver is definitely more volatile it kind of mm-hmm. does nothing for a while like it might not really go anywhere it'll be like oh why did i do that because it's you know the same as when i bought it but then suddenly over a course of a matter of months you know it will go up quite a lot like 10 20 30 percent you know and and historically that could be a 100 percent sort of thing so if you can if you can handle the volatility then in silver you know as long as you as long as you're aware of that that's that's something to be aware of um like silver certainly if you're talking about like upside potential like as you said I can't make any guarantees and I'm not here to tell people what to do but if you look historically like silver has definitely got more potential upside on a comparing it to what's happened historically at the moment like the uh, what's called the silver to gold ratio so it's just how many ounces of silver it takes to buy an ounce of gold um, that's about around um, the 80ish kind of mark at the moment um, so it means 80 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. Um, so, and then that has been up closer to hundred um, in recent years, but it's also been down in like the thirties and forties and on a historical basis, but it's been a lot lower than that. And if you go back to like the end of the last precious metals kind of cycle in around 1980, then that ratio went like right the way down to about 16 so then it only took 16 ounces of silver to buy an ounce of gold so um if you yeah, if you kind of use that on today's prices you know like an ounce of um ounce of gold is what in new zealand dollars is over three thousand dollars it's like uh three thousand one hundred and something or other like that and an ounce of silver is only you know like less than about like 40 bucks kind of thing. So yeah, if that ratio went back to where it was of like 16, well, then you're dividing, you know, over $3,000 by 16, which it's not that easy to do in my head. I have got a calculator to hand though, so I'll just do it really roughly. So yeah, that's like a hundred and the silver price being 180, $190 an ounce kind of thing compared to the, you know, 30 to $40 that it is currently. So that um, yeah, that's one way of looking at it that it has got you know way potentially a lot more upside than what gold has. Um, but gold gives you that kind of stability over a long period of time as well. So I mean again my personal thing is is have a bit of both um, and you might want to change how much you've got depending upon what that ratio is. that's another way of looking at, at things you know at the moment we sort of say when the ratio when that ratio is above um, about sort of 70. Um, it's a good time to be buying, you know, mostly or predominantly silver. And so we're in that 80 kind of range at the moment. And then when you're down in that 70 to, I don't know, maybe call it 50 range, and then maybe that's a get a bit of both. And then below that is maybe a time when it's better to be buying gold compared to silver. So, um, yeah, that's a a kind of way of comparing that. And also probably the other thing on a historical basis for silver that's useful, I think, particularly here in New Zealand, where we're all quite mad on housing, is um, looking at how many ounces it takes to buy like the median kind of house price in New Zealand and if you do that at the moment we kind of keep a track of this on a sort of quarterly basis maybe just because it's interesting to see and I think at the moment when I last did it I haven't got the numbers to hand but I so I could be wrong on the exact number but I think we're at about 20 7,000 or something like that ounces to buy the median house price in New Zealand and if we go back again historically to that time in 1980 when um, the, the last precious metals bull market kind of peaked or ended I think in New Zealand it was about 1,100 ounces to buy the average house in New Zealand so that's a big difference between 1,100 and 27,000 you know is like what that's 27 times sort of thing um, yeah, so-
1: exactly. Okay, we're learning tons of stuff. We're learning tons of t- um, terminology. We've talked about the volatility with silver and the stability with gold, um, the upside and everything else. I'm trying to think of other frequently asked questions that people might ask you, but maybe you can do that for me. <laughs> Glenn, what are some other things that you get asked, either people emailing or through your website or whatever what are some other things you think my audience would want to know or any tangible tips uh, any other tangible tips you might have for them around this topic of gold and silver
4: yeah well we've probably touched on some of the main ones already which are and and which are off and probably one of the other ones that's that's common is like well how much should i have how much should i have in terms of my the rest of my portfolio or whatever you might want to call it you know yeah. other investments and things and um, that's probably quite a common one i mean again it's it's a bit of a we have written something about this because it's a bit of a like you know i'd need to know every detail about you to be able to if i was an advisor to give you good advice on that but yeah I mean, in terms of the studies and things that are done that have sort of shown that's an allocation of like somewhere like five even just five to ten percent of of gold and silver can like smooth out what might go wrong in other parts of your investments? You know, be that like property or be that um, the share market or what have you. So that's a kind of a, like a ballpark number in terms of like your liquid investments, maybe not not including housing. Um, that might be useful to cover that. I mean, but yeah, lots of people will be way higher than that because they see the risks to the the, the financial system and their other you know assets as being much higher. Um, so that's that's like a common one. Another one is probably like, you know, what ratio of gold to silver? And again, I guess we've kind of already touched on that, but that might kind of vary a bit. I mean, personally, I, th- I think, you know, good to have a bit of both. And depending on if you can stomach it a bit more, maybe that percentage should be higher in silver rather than in gold. Um, and then as things vary over time, you may choose to change that. You know, like if silver goes up quite a lot compared to gold, well, then you'll end up with you might have started off 50 50 and you might have then have it might be like 70 30 or something um so then sometimes then people might choose to cycle out of one and into the other they might want to like rebalance effectively and sell some silver to buy some gold so um yeah there are all kind of questions that that don't have an easy answer which is probably why people ask them um but we can kind of give them some you know some guidelines or some things to consider Um, Okay. So
1: you just mentioned about possibly selling some silver to buy some gold. So I'd love to ask you about exit strategies. I'm on your email list and I saw that you mentioned exit strategies in your recent email. Um, So when it comes time for somebody to sell, because a lot of people might be thinking, well, I don't want to drag, you know, this massive (laughs) wagon full of gold bars behind me when I go to the shop. Um, What, yeah, like what, how do you, how do you sell when you want to sell some, to either buy more or to buy something else.
4: Yeah, well, it's 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 simpler than what people might think. I mean, it's much like in the same way as when you buy. So yeah, there's always there's always a market for gold and silver, um, and I don't see why that will change. So when the time comes, it's just a case of really coming back. It could be coming back to us. It could be going to other um, bullion deal, dealers or what have you. And just requesting what the price, what the buyback price is on that particular day, and accepting that, and you know, you return the metal in, and you get given back the cash. Um, you know, on maybe not handed over physically across the counter, but you get a bank transfer on the same day. So it's it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty liquid. Um, you know, you can do that. You know, any business day of the week, just like just like buying and selling other other stuff. So it's not a difficult thing to do. I mean, there's a there's a few other things to think about in terms of exiting. It may be that you might you could potentially sell it privately to someone else. You might even you might actually get more doing that. Um if you know, if you find the right person to sell it to. Um, you could also look at the option of um there's other ways to do it. You know, you see people selling things on trade me and whatnot, you know, overseas it might be on eBay as well. Um, I mean there's some other risks with that i suppose in terms of having to get the metal to that unknown person so you haven't sort of got some a party in the middle to sort of safe keep things but that people do do that that's an option as well in terms of the other exit strategies or well, the other things that maybe people don't think about is that maybe you might not even you might not sell it as such you know you you might spend it you might be able to mm. swap it for something else effectively you might be able to trade it for something else that might be you might then see it as being higher value, like would that be like a, I don't know, a car or a property or something like that? We're touching on what we sort of talked about before about the the value of between precious metals and say housing. So that might be another thing you might be able to construct a deal where you where you do that. The other reason why you why you may not sell it as such is maybe because you don't need to because it's it potentially could have returned to being involved in the monetary system somehow um with technology and things coming into play as well it might be that you might be able to transact it they might you know, it might be involving maybe blockchain or something as well where you could end up being that could be turned into more of a spendable type currency as well We are not necessarily rolling up to a shop with a silver or a gold coin to buy something um so there's a lot of there's a lot of unknowns there's a lot of things we can't really prepare for we can just consider and look ahead and, and maybe make a rough plan or have some ideas, but yeah, I mean, as it goes like today and tomorrow, it's, it's very easy to sell when the, when the time comes, um, you can just, you know, go into a place anywhere in the world, like a bullion dealer, pretty much anywhere in the world, and you'll be able to, you'll be able to sell it. So yeah, those are, there's, there's other things to consider as well. Those are a few of the probably key ones that spring to mind.
1: Yeah, no, that's helpful. And you know, on my show and in my life, I'm all about empowering people. And so for me, I, I use the phrase, be prepared, not paranoid a lot. And that's one of the reasons I was wanting to get gold and silver. I'm like, I'm just going to be prepared for whatever, come what may, come what may down the road. Um, So speaking of what's coming down the road, um, the yellow brick road, no, BRICS, the acronym BRICS, um, I know that they, what what currency are some of the other countries around the world moving towards as they possibly move away from the... um, dollar, the paperback dollar, and what does BRICS, the acronym, stand for? If you, I know it's Brazil, Russia, but can you do the rest?
4: Yeah, well, that's that's Brazil, Russia, India, also uh, sort of Brazil, Russia, India, China should be the obvious one,
6: and, and South yeah, Africa.
4: Yes, yeah, is South Africa. Yeah, okay. so, But at the moment, there's a there's a very soon this month actually. There's a um a, a BRICS meeting happening in South Africa. So there's been a lot of talk around that, and a lot of these things. It's a bit hard to know what's what you know, separating reality from conjecture and whatnot. And there's things that have come out from some parties that have been counteracted by other countries and whatnot. But there's there's it definitely seems like the the thing that seems definite or very likely is that there are other countries that are looking to join that that BRICS block. Um, so and they they could be you know they're from all over the world the interesting part about that is maybe that that quite could include um saudi arabia um iran we're looking at and so we're looking at other countries that are effectively big petroleum suppliers and the the the, the us dollar is often referred to as the petrodollar because that's kind of partly how they've managed to keep that mm. going because they've made these other countries agree to to sell um their oil in us dollars so that's kind of oversimplifying things but that's that's sort of how it gets its name. Um, so, there's, so there's these other countries looking to join, and it's as high as maybe like 20 or something, I think I, I saw. Um, so that seems quite likely that there will be more that join there. And there's also been discussion and talk about whether they might the, – some have used the term gold back, and other have term, used the term gold linked um, and, mm-hmm. so, and making an actual BRICS currency. So I guess it may be a bit like the euro exists, where you know they, a whole lot of countries banded together and then they have a common currency. So this could be sort of the same as well. It might be different to the euro net. that the the people within those countries might not actually be transacting with it. It might be more of like a way for the the country the, the governments to to can transact with each other. And you know, like you buy so much oil, so then I'll give you so many bricks kind of thing. Um so that's something that's that's being talked about. Again, it's a bit hard to know quite. How and I think maybe I think I think possibly it's been overhyped a little bit. I don't think suddenly they're going to announce that there's like this new gold backed bricks currency later this month, and it's I don't think it's likely to happen that fast. But it's there's all these like steps if you're talking about the yellow brick road, like there's you know, there's a lot of pavement, and we're kind of just steadily going down that pavement. And this is maybe another one of those steps that are, that are being added that are, moves us away from fiat currency and on towards you know, whatever whatever might come next and so i mean i think that's likely to have gold and silver in it there's little like warning signs or road signs that are sort of showing that um like just looking at the amount of gold that various central banks around the world have been buying over the last little while and over this year i think the first six months of this year was like the the record the record for the largest amount of purchases of gold of central banks since they started recording that which is quite a while ago now um so that's another you know bit of an indicator that some a lot of these countries are kind of thinking hmm, where are we heading and i guess what happened when russia you know the, when russia invaded um the you know the, when the war started uh, early last year and then what the reaction was from US to that to to Russia in terms of you know freezing some of their um, reserves and things they've all been like little warning warning bells that have suddenly rung for various other countries that are kind of like oh that might be thinking hmm well we are I think we're your partner now but like what happens in the future if we're not and they sort of see the risks that they're exposed to so uh, that's probably a, a bit of a bit of a ringing a bell for a, for a few countries and a few central banks so yeah, there's all these little kind of – this has been going on for a long time. Like, I, as I said, I've been following precious metals for a long while, and there's been all these little warning signs. It just seems like there's maybe a few more of them starting to arrive in, in recent years. So I think we're likely to move towards some kind of um, new currency, and whether what that is exactly, I don't know. Um, but I think it's likely that it will have, it'll involve, uh, you know, gold, whether it involves silver as well, I don't know. Um, but if if it involves gold, like that'll still have an impact upon silver as well. So yeah, there's there's lots of lots of unknowns, but I think we certainly seem to be moving, you know, towards a change. A change is like inevitable because um, you know, currencies Fiat currencies certainly don't, don't exist for very long, and this is the only time in history where there's every, basically every currency in the world has been fiat, and the main reserve currency has been fiat as well. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting time to be alive, to say the least.
1: Oh, it is. And, and I didn't know that about the other countries, obviously, buying in gold as well. So for them, same thing, wealth insurance, just like for the average person. And that's why I think it's cool. It's like the average person can buy even if it's just two coins of silver just to have um i just think it's smart to kind of spread your wealth around meaning like don't just have all your eggs in the bank basket is i guess what my that was my logic at least um hey i'd love it if we're gonna we're gonna go to the questions now that i ask all my guests so uh glenn what is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave
4: uh, yeah well I hope I usually try and do I hope I do some some stuff every year that ups the brave um probably the one that springs to mind um was that I actually went and became a uh, qualified lifeguard at the end of last year which yeah. kind of somewhat latent but most of the people becoming lifeguards are in their teens sort of thing so I'm slightly past that I'm kind of getting closer to the to the half century than I am to being a teenager um, so yeah, so that's what I did last year was become a, a, a qualified lifeguard at the end of, uh, end of 2022. So yeah, but I think that well, took... you're
1: in the perfect place for that. You're in Mangafai. Yes.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I'm indeed. That's kind of partly why, cause I spend lots of time, you know, in and around the surf and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I've got other people that I know that do that. And I've got another, other friends that, are that, and kind of said, you know, you should, you should do this. And I did it with my daughter as well, which was a pretty cool experience. It, it's a, it's quite challenging especially you know there's quite a lot you need to know in terms of knowledge and first aid and everything else as well as the actual physical requirements of being able to swim you know a certain distance in a certain time and all that sort of stuff so I involved a bit of training so uh yeah that was that's something that springs to mind do
1: you then go and volunteer and like take you do shifts and things like that
4: yep yep you got to do that as well you've got to do like a effectively once a month you do a, a weekend so yeah. that, i mean it, oh, i think all surf clubs kind of vary how they run it and, you know, but we're all here we're all mostly just we're not mostly we are all volunteers on the weekends um so in the in the weekdays and the holidays they have paid lifeguards from the a regional one but yeah on the weekends it's all just volunteers so you do a shift of a saturday and a sunday once a month basically so yeah good on you you do yeah
1: that is awesome. For those of you that don't know, Mangafai is, I'm going to go with two hours, two hours or no, an hour and a half maybe north of Auckland. Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's probably, it's only like an hour and hour and 10 hour and 15. Now that the, the new motorway is open as well. True. So it's very, very accessible to Aucklanders.
1: So nice. Okay. Awesome. What is one thing on your bucket list that we can possibly help you to do be or have?
4: Oh yeah. That's a, that is a, that is a big, that is a big question all Right, that one. Uh, um, I think probably the one that 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 springs to mind is um, I want to get back to um, my uh, my mum is actually uh, South African by birth so yeah I haven't actually I've been back to South Africa once when I was much younger um, or not back I've been to South Africa so yeah I'm I'm, I want to head back there and when I was there it was kind of brief and it was for doing other things so I I, one thing I really want to do an experience I really want to have is to get back to africa and i want want to do like one of the really long um uh game uh you know safaris Mm -hmm. like multiple week ones i did like a really brief one when i was there it was just literally for the day but i want the experience of actually doing like you know a, a full a full experience where you where you're doing it for a couple of weeks or so at least so yeah that's that's the one thing that i definitely want to do that's on the bucket list
1: well that's awesome yeah doing um Going and checking out your heritage, its um, that's awesome. And so if anyone listening has some ideas around a amazing African safari that is not just a day trip um, that you'd recommend for Glenn, then you can get in touch with him directly. Or of course, you can send us a message, text 2057, or inbox at realitycheck.radio. So Glenn, what is coming up for you, either personally or in the business, in the next few months? And how can people connect with you online, maybe if you can reel off the website another time?
4: Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, well, yeah, the other website is just goldsurvivalguide.co.nz or Google, or whatever your preferred search engine is. Uh, Gold Survival Guide, and you'll you'll see us there, and we're on the the likes of uh, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and whatnot as well, um, LinkedIn. Uh, so yeah, that's that's where to find us in terms of uh, things that are coming up. Um, we're about to I haven't got a date yet, but we're about to roll out like a I think we'll do it on a at least a monthly basis to start with, but a um, like an FAQ-type call, which we haven't – we've sort of done these on a more sporadic basis, like once in a blue moon, but we think the blue moon needs to come a bit more often, or once a month, so maybe we'll make a call at the full moon. Um, so, yeah, we're going to start some FAQ-type calls where we'll we'll touch on stuff about, you know, like what's going on in the industry and what we kind of see from behind the, behind the lines as such. Um, so we're about to roll those out in the next month, I would say. Um, so yeah, like if you're on our, you're on our email list, you'll, you'll be sure to hear about those. So, um, that's what we're about to, about to roll out. And, um, yeah, in terms of, in terms of anything else going on, well, yeah, that's probably like probably the main one that that springs to mind, I think. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's awesome. And there's also, I know some videos on your website if they just want to go and have a look, um, they can learn more there. Anything else you want to share with us before we wrap it up?
4: Um, no, I mean that's. I think we've covered quite a lot. I mean, I would, I'd encourage people to go and you know, explore the idea a bit more if you haven't really. Um, you know, like like we say, we educate first, sell second. So like, go and learn something about precious metals and how they can potentially, you know, help you um, look after the wealth you've got and potentially even, you know, grow that wealth into the into the future as well. Um, and as you alluded to there's maybe not enough people that actually you know they might be aware of it but haven't actually taken any steps to do that so that's the key thing is to go and take a step and actually learn a bit more and i think once you've actually got some physical gold or silver in your hands there's like a weird kind of ethereal sort of um i don't know like a I'm going to sound a bit woo woo and say spiritual, but you know, like it's got, there's a reason why humans have been attracted to it for like thousands of years. Like it had, there is something about it and it's, you can't really, which is why I'm struggling to put it into words. Cause you can't really put that into words, but there is a feeling when you get it in your hand. So I'd encourage you to actually go and get your hands on some, even as Natalie said, if even if it's just a couple of ounces of silver, which is, you know, like, you know, 40, 50, hundred bucks, you know, so, don't spend a few coffees each week and you can probably buy a silver coin in no time. So I'd encourage yeah. just, know, just to go and take a take a step. And even if it's not with us, like, go and look at it. I mean, that's kind of how we started out. And that's sort of our mission is about educating people about what's going on in the world and in terms of the monetary system and, and about protecting themselves from that. Because I think a lot of the... A lot of the kind of troubles and evils of the world if you trace them all back there's often people trying to put band-aids on top of things but most of the problems will actually all come back to like what we see as money and it's rather we don't have money today we just have currency you know so a lot of the troubles in the world actually stem out of what our monetary system is and so if people can be educated about that then hopefully when the when things change we can be pushing for um, you, you know, like change that is actually good, not just a regurgitation of like past problems. Really, you know. So, um, yeah, and that's probably what I see. Ideally, is that we would have like a in fact. I'm literally about to write something and publish about this on a website today, but it's about like a free market for money, basically. So let people choose what they want to use as money, and the, you know, the cream will float to the top. Basically, but it won't be it won't be New Zealand dollars, and it won't be US dollars in their current form. So yeah go go and learn something about that and and then pass it on to other people because I think that can make a big a big difference, you know to the planet in the in the years ahead.
1: Thank you so much. You know, you reminded me as you were talking about um you know your customer service. like when you sent it to me, what I noticed is that someone would ring me and make sure I was going to be home, and then it comes in the courier bag. I'm pretty sure like they come and they deliver it at a certain time. So it's kind of like when you're getting the laundry guy to come around and fix your laundry or whatever, like you, ha- you have to be there. Um, and so I really like the fact that it's like, it's not just going to sit on my doorstep, you know, someone's going to take it um, because these are the things people are worried about these days. So I really, I thought that was very thorough and very professional. Um, thank you so much for chatting with us today about gold and silver. It's definitely a topic I've been wanting to dive into for a while. So I'm so glad we could find the time to have a chat. and. Um, Yeah. Thanks so much. So you guys can go check it out. Goldsurvivalguide.co.nz. Thank you so much, Glenn. What are you up to for the rest of the day?
4: Yeah. Thanks a lot, Natalie. Uh, you're not, I'll be kind of winding it down. Actually I've had my swim before I talk to you. So I've got the exercises being ticked off for the day. So, um, yeah, I'll just, as I said, I'll be finishing off this article that i just mentioned about like, you know, what's a gold, what is the gold standard and could we return to it? And, and, you know, a free market for money, basically. So that's what I'll be spending. The next three hours will be fleshing that out and finishing that off. Yeah.
1: Well, we look forward to reading it. I will grab the link and I will put it on the replay page once this interview is up um, so people can have a read themselves. Thanks so much, Glenn.
4: Oh, Awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me in long We really appreciate it.
1: And thanks for listening, everyone. Some great insight there from Glenn Thomas. Uh, so Glenn is a leading global educator on the value of holding actual gold and silver in terms of protecting wealth he co-founded the gold survival guide during the financial crisis in 2009 which is now new zealand's most comprehensive online resource for information on precious metals i really love that he's got that focus on education because some people like me are just like I just want to buy some and I just like click the button, but other people are going to want to learn all the ins and outs and the ups and downs and all the things. Um, so I love that he has so much education there on that website. You can check it out goldsurvivalguide.co.nz. Um, in this interview, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. We talked about BRICS and the Federal Federal Reserve possibly shifting to a gold-backed currency. We talked about the concepts like volatility with silver and terms like the upside, you know, versus the stability with gold. But the main message here, I think for me at least, is around being prepared. So whatever you do, i would like, just don't put all your eggs in one basket, have a few things going on. Um, and so we talked about protecting yourself in the monetary system. And I mean, things are, you hear all sorts of things, things are always changing, but think it's good to learn about gold and silver and being prepared
0: thanks for tuning in to rcr reality check radio if you like what you're listening to or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to then get in touch with us now you can text us with your message to 2057 that's 2057 or if you'd rather email us you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio we would love to hear from you So get in touch with us now.
3: People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really
5: look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need
4: to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea and if that idea is taken to its zenith then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand.
5: What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated and you know I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up.
1: Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Reality Check Radio. This is Natalie Cutler-Welsh on The Up, Your Brave show. And I'm talking today to Louisa Havers, all the way from the UK. She's an absolute legend. I think it's like 11 o'clock at night. And tonight we're going to be talking about, today, we're going to be talking about unlocking financial abundance by healing your money blocks. We're talking about money. Welcome, Louisa.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: What time is it? It It is just coming up to 11 o'clock at night. So. You are a legend. Thank you so much for being so committed to joining us and sharing some insights with our audience here in New Zealand. And of course, around the world, we do get listeners around the world. Um, we We'd love to talk about money because it's an interesting time right now in the world. So before we do that... Um, I'm going to read a little bit of a bio and then I'd love you to share a bit of backstory. So, for those of you that don't know Louisa, Louisa Havers is an internationally renowned success and business coach. She's the creator of the Helix Method and Master Akashic Records Teacher, which is Soul Journeys Method. She enables high achievers and coaches to un- unlock their superpowers. Oh, my goodness. I, I talk <laughs> about superpowers too. I love it. Turbocharged, soul aligned magnetism. Excuse me, and lift the ceiling in both their lives and business. It's a journey. Louisa knows works as she personally has undertaken herself, spending years leading change in the highly pressurized and stressful social services sector, um, which led her to having shingles, chronic fatigue, and compelling her to break through, break away from the corporate matrix of overwork. It was the first step to creating her own life of freedom and a dream business income. Louisa enables her clients across the globe to activate quantum leaps to success in their own journeys to fulfillment, self-love, and six-slash-seven-figure income. Daring to live your life's purpose is truly possible under Louisa's loving, powerful, and insightful guidance. Oh, I love the daring to live your life's purpose. So align with Up Your Brave. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So we've given the, our, our audience a little bit of an insight into you before we dive into the money stuff. Um, how did you get to this place? I can see that you've been through a bit of a health journey. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. yes. Yeah, so when
3: I look back, do you know what? It was today, seven years ago, I left social services oh. and it was, yeah, I just realized that as I looked at the date and I, that just feels like, yeah, past life <laughs> it just it was um so much has happened over the last seven years um but to get to that point I'd been working for them for 13 years and had been doing all sorts of things leading on you know community safety stuff leading on domestic abuse sexual abuse preventing radicalizations and some heavy kind of going going stuff loved it loved making a difference but what had started to happen was um We had had pay freezes within the the, the sector for like eight years. And of course, everything's getting more expensive. I have two children and I'm a single parent that my sons are getting bigger and (laughs) things were, the the cost of uh, our household was increasing. And they were just giving me more work at, at work and no more money. And I was like, this is reaching breaking point. And, and, it, and it, it truly did because it got to the point where um, I found myself with a, a bout of shingles and, and chronic fatigue. And for the first time in, in my career, being off work sick and you know, going down that, that rabbit hole with, with the organization. And it really gave me a massive wake up call because it wasn't lost on me that before my father passed away his period of ill health had started with a bout of shingles. And so it for me, it was a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a wake-up call that I didn't want to have the kind of life that my father had done towards the end of his life, where he had put everything on hold and had always thought he was going to, you know, do all these amazing things when he retired. And then mm. he had ill health retirement and passed away. And so it felt like it was a sort of blessing from the universe, if you like, to kind of go, hey, wake up. You're just working really, really hard, putting your life on hold <laughs> and um doing the exact thing that you know you said you don't want to have happen um that your dad did. And so it was that bout of shingles that was really like, hang on a second, there's more to life than this. And um, you know, I really just wanted to have more fun and to to be able to make a difference in in a way that wasn't involving as it was at that point into sort of cutting services and redefining services in what felt like a restricted way and so I started to go on that journey of oh my goodness what am I going to do I I actually had started a network marketing company and that gave me the sort of leverage to be able to go hang on I've got a way to make an income that that's outside of social services and i used that as a way to kind of transition if that makes sense and to, it took me about 3 years to leave fully um when i finally you know this time 7 years ago closed the door <laughs> um and uh started my my own coaching business and so that that was the the sort of the the, the turning point for me with those two pieces was my my period of ill health and my you know the kind of the previous history of my father passing mm-hmm. away having not lived to his highest potential um and um, I just didn't want to do that so I felt very passionate about that and it was Natalie it was one of those things you know when you find yourself giving everybody loads of advice so in in the workplace um I like was we recognized- tell people
1: what we need to hear right yes.
3: yes exactly so I had loads of people coming to me saying you know they wanted to feel more fulfilled in their role at work and they've been in the social services for like 20 years and the jobs have changed around them and you know through doing the coaching with them we'd find out that actually they wanted to leave and I kept fine telling people you know you need to kind of find your purpose and have more fulfillment in life and then when you're like hmm, I think this message is for me mm. as well. So I finally did it and
1: set up my coaching business and uh, haven't haven't looked back. Well, that is truly upping your brave. I, you know, it's interesting. And I bet a lot of our listeners, if you are listening, I bet um, a lot of people can relate to a few things in that, you know, wanting to have more fun and fulfillment in what they're doing, and also having that kind of a, that critical aha moment of going, oh my goodness you know whether it's because it's like this is just like my dad who went downhill and never got to do all the things he had on his maybe his bucket list or you know things he wanted to achieve um or maybe like you, telling advice. It's so classic. So to our listeners, if this resonates with you, definitely send us a text. We'd love to know if you're feeling like you want to have more fun or if you hear yourself giving advice to others, which you kind of secretly know is actually meant for you. You can send us a text two zero five seven or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Um, that's, that is, you know, that's exciting that you, you had the courage to take the plunge and to, and a strategy to navigate your way or transition your way, um, towards working for yourself, which is so awesome. So how did you suddenly move into this area of money, you know, um, financial abundance, and that became your thing? Was it always your coaching around money? You know what? It wasn't. My coaching was
3: originally around, when I first left, my first coaching program was around finding your passion and purpose. But what I do and then still um, did it from a very energetic perspective. So I use the term energy psychology. So it's helping people to change their thoughts, emotions, and beliefs so that they can create the life that they want from a an intentional perspective so it's not only about you know the strategies that you're implementing in your business but it's about who you who you're being ultimately and um and so what I found was so I was leading with finding your purpose because that's kind of the the journey that I had undertaken and the work that I was doing so many people would within the first sort of six to eight weeks find that they were breaking through an income ceiling um suddenly having a you know a pay rise or you know doubling their income or whatever it might be depending on because I did work with some people that were employees at, at, at that time and and so that was really exciting to me because it's very tangible money and um, you can really start to see the impact of that and it so it was through that, that i recognizing my clients were having their breakthroughs and then I had my own breakthrough as well through basically you know one of the programs that I now take my clients through is what I did to have my own money breakthrough, where I literally, you know, doubled my my income, and it was through changing how I was showing up for myself, the uh, the identity that I had. Ultimately, you know, I'd gone from being so familiar within social services, being surrounded mm. by people who were struggling, you know, um, in in society, um, and then also being in a, in a workforce where people weren't quite frankly, earning enough money, you know, for for the jobs that they were doing. And so I brought that mm. identity with me into the entrepreneurial place. And I had to change that. And to completely recognize that, actually, that, that identity, that mask, if you like, that I was wearing, wasn't who I truly was. It was a, an identity that was fit for purpose, if you like, whilst I was working for social services, and I needed to become a different person. And it was as I started to embody that and really change my identity that I had the breakthrough. And so I just love helping people have the breakthrough because it's just so exciting. And for me, being able to heal heal your money story and journey, it actually has a ripple effect across all aspects of life, because it's ultimately your relationship with yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, let's dive into that. I mean, I don't, I'd love it if we could have some breakthroughs for people today, but I love to get from my, from my guests, some practical tips that people can apply in their daily life. And so, and I know that money is a contentious issue for a lot of people at the moment. Um, and I hear what you're saying around, you know, the people you surround yourself, that kind of becomes the the bar or the expectation or the identity. Um, what are some tips or strategies Or even exercises, you know, that you can share with us here on this interview today that some of our listeners can possibly implement in their life to raise the bar, I suppose, on their money blocks and beliefs.
3: Yes, I think um so one of the things that I do with my with my clients is use um it's part of the helix method which is the modality that I use which is an energy psychology modality that I I teach and train my my clients um to to use as well so we train people to use it within their businesses and it's so practical and easy that people can do it um you know it is a, a self-help tool if you, if you like that they can do it at home and um what to find out what is the block that is is holding you back. And so one of the things that we we use is is muscle testing. We use specifically what's called the sway technique, which is where you use your body like a dousing device. And the reason why I love that one is because I can work remotely with people and teach them how to use it themselves so that they're not dependent on me, muscle testing for them, if that makes sense. Mm
6: -hmm. Um,
3: So teach them how to use the sway technique. And which is where your body goes forwards for a yes and backwards for a no. So that if that sounds, I mean, I, I remember when I first did muscle testing, I was like, "What is going on?" <laughs> so I've I've been there, done that. Kind of like this is really strange. It is really strange when you've not done it before, but um, it's it's very very powerful, and it's a great way to kind of unlock what beliefs you're holding that may be holding you back. Because one of the things that I have found is that we can tell ourselves a good story as to why we haven't got X, Y, and Z. But of course the story that we're listening to in our head has been generated by our subconscious to keep us in the same place. And so we kind of buy these thoughts that we hear, these stories that we hear, but actually there's a layer beneath that that is generating (laughs) that conversation in our head. And that's the bit that I want to get to with people. Mm. Um, and that's what I find that you can you can get to with muscle testing to really uncover what is the belief that you're holding that's creating the the outcome that perhaps the experience that you want in life, whether it's you know having roller coaster months in your business or perhaps it's you know um feeling like you haven't got enough clients that uh, you know to 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 work with in your business or whatever it may be. there's so many ways that money blocks can can manifest in 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 your business. And I think just to speak to a couple of ones that people can sort of see if it resonates for them, this this will be helpful is and one of is these three money blocks. So one of the big ones that I see and often people will kind of go, no, I, I, this isn't relevant for me, but it's I think it's something that we can all require more of ourselves. And this is not having enough self-love. That's the first one. That is a really big block for people where we can start to, because we'll instinctively say, I love myself, because we know that we're supposed to. (laughs) um but of course we may if we're doing some muscle testing so we may reveal from the subconscious that actually we could love ourselves some more you know where are we tolerating things or perhaps settling for things that are less than our desires and um because of yeah ultimately how much we 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 love ourselves our self love guides our beliefs our our actions and, and so when we allow ourselves to sort of top up our self-love, then we really truly can make it become, you know, it get it, it easier and it links. I just want to, I just want
1: second. to jump in. So for our audience listening, I know that we'll, there will be a lot of people like me who are like, oh yeah, muscle testing. Cool. Yeah. I, I, you know, and there will be a lot of people who are like, what is she even talking about? How does that even work? That's not even a thing. Okay. So I just want to acknowledge, I get it. I hear you. But I'm inviting you, listener, to be open to just, just, just be open to it. Um, because I think these three blocks that you're about to tell us, and you've told us one, are so, I mean, self-love straight away, not for me, but for certain people in my life, I'm like, yes, absolutely, I can see that that is so relevant. And and I'll just jump in while, while I've got the mic. for On one thing, for me, when I did some of this... Um, money block work many, many, many years ago, we were going through a hard time financially. We had moved from Christchurch where we had literally just spent $200,000 doing a renovation, but it was making our house our forever home. We were like, we're going to live here forever. And um, I think we'd almost paid off the mortgage. Like we were looking good. Um, And then Mm. we had the earthquake. My husband lost his job. Our house was in the red zone. We literally had no running water. We had no power. And we had a one day old baby. Like my baby was born the day after the third child, not just one baby, three children, et cetera, et cetera. We moved to Auckland. It was financially hard. And I remember being at this event and they were talking about money and saying how everything you have is already right in front of you. What do you have that's in front of you? That is money. And I said, well, I've got these boxes of books, boxes of books that I've written, this parenting book that I wrote which ironically was called if only they told me. So that's interesting. Um, but anyway, and I remember her saying, well, why, you know, asking me about money. And I was kind of like the the Guinea pig in the room and everyone's staring at me and I'm trying not to cry. And, um, I said, well, of course I need the money and here's the clincher, but other people need it more than me. And that was my belief was that like, well, other people need it more. And so I was, mm. you know, et cetera. So I just wanted to throw that in there as one of the mm. many, many money beliefs that certain people have for very good reasons. Um, but we need to move through them to, in order to move on. So back to you, what are some of the other yeah. three, or do you want to comment on that?
3: Well, that's such a good one to comment on because I think so many people hold a version of that, if that makes sense. And we feel very, um, logically, it makes sense to believe that, um, But then it's, well, how does that then impact your behavior and how you're creating your reality in in your life, in your business? That's the piece Deprivation. Yeah, (laughs) yes, yes. Which you don't logically want to create, but it's like, hang on a second, here we are with this belief that is underpinning what the the reality that I'm experiencing. And, And it is amazing when you start to change those beliefs- how your reality your reality starts to change. So I thank you for bringing that one forward because I think that many people will resonate with that one because it is a common one. I might say it in a slightly different way, but it is amazing how how many people can can have that. Um, the other one that um, is linked to our sort of self love barometer is how much we trust ourselves, and because if you don't fully like fully trust yourself, then it is going to show up in business. It will show up in, you know, it impacts your sales. It It's it's really sneaky. It can be even, it, how many times, and this is just for everyone listening to kind of think, you know, how many times have you not followed through on your on what you said you're going to do? So perhaps you said you're going to do something and then you just keep putting it off. Well, our subconscious is listening. And so every time we don't follow through on what we say we're going to do, We're programming ourselves to not follow through on what we say we're going to do. And then that has a huge impact on the beliefs that our subconscious then kind of creates and and embodies. And we start to then not trust our word um, in relation to what we say we're going to do. So the subconscious starts to, it
1: weakens our intention. Um, And by the way, that's, that's things that you say you're going to do. Is this correct? Things that you say you're going to do for other people. Or for yourself. So some people might go, oh, no, I always do what I say. Well, that's, yeah, when it's for someone else. But what about when it's for you? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's when it's, when it's for
3: you. you know, even if it's like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym today. And then you don't go to the gym because you put it off because, you know, I don't know, the kids come in and they've wanted to, uh, uh, you know, suddenly need you to take them to their their class or whatever it may be, there's always this juggling act going on. And we'll rationalize, you know, uh, and give a very good reason as to why we haven't done X, Y, and Z. But it ultimately, you know, every cell in our body is listening to, to what we're saying. And if we're constantly kind of diverting and not following through on what we say we're going to do in, in the day-to-day things, then when we say we're going to, I'm going to build X, Y, and Z business, <laughs> the subconscious on one level is kind of going, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so it does have an impact um, on our identity, our expectations of ourselves. And there's actually a simple thing that you can do. If you're somebody who it, this is resonating, you're like, yeah, I think i have kind of falling into that bucket of not following through on what I say I'm going to do. Even just by on the day-to-day tasks, training yourself to follow through on, on what you say you're going to do. It, with the smallest things, it's going to start to build up that your self-trust barometer and being able to have more confidence in following through so that you are enabling yourself to have confidence in what you're investing in, have confidence in, you know, trusting yourself in your decisions when you're hiring people or when you're deciding to, to launch a new program or whatever it may be. Self-trust is, is, is really key. So yeah, we need to follow through on what we say we're going to do or if we're catching ourselves kind of just procrastinating um, what we say we're going to do, being able to catch that and then just training our training our consciousness to be able to go. Hang on a second, I just caught myself doing that, and so I'm going to I'm going to follow through now or change how we're, we're speaking to ourselves. So those are two big ones that will manifest in various different ways. And then I think the third big one, which I really see as people are actually at all levels of business, um, and I'm sure this will resonate for, for everybody along their journey, is at some point feeling unsafe to be seen at the new level. It's a version of imposter syndrome, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our subconscious wants to keep us safe. We want to, it really wants to keep us doing the same thing. <laughs> and ultimately, you know, being seen in, in different um communities different arenas it hasn't always been safe to, to to do that and so there is a sort of collective programming around that that can bubble up and of course you know if we've had any people will have different experiences of their experience of being seen as a child in, in you know in different ways whether it was perhaps a teacher might have ridiculed you in when you we're reading in class, you know, I, that was a big thing for me. I'm dyslexic and having to stand up and read in class was a big thing for, for me. I was talking mm-hmm. to some old school friends the other day who they're saying, oh, I used to love it. I get really excited when it was my turn. I was like, no, it was like my worst nightmare, you know, counting down for the teacher to come and and uh, t- tell me it was my time to read. And so, of course, everyone's going to have slightly different experiences around that. But of course, you know, or whether somebody was mean to you at school because of you know, essentially you know, being being you, whatever it might be, and even actually seeing seeing people being taken down on TV and on media, we see it in the um, you know celebrities being put up on a pedestal, and then they love to 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 take them down, as it were. All of that is going into our consciousness and our subconscious. That's trying to keep us safe is going to go. No, don't be more visible. Um, Perhaps don't go into that room and start to create these these resistances to to growing
1: our business. So those would would that would that also equate? Sorry, to um, and especially over the last three years, people being more visible or more more vocal. If there were things that they didn't align with or didn't agree with, you know, government, health, whatever, um, or is it really more around, you know, business and promotions and jobs and and that type of visibility?
3: Do you know, I think the, the, there's two things there. You're absolutely right, because we have seen that actually online. People who have spoken out um, against the, the government um, and the, the the narrative completely being ridiculed, mm-hmm. uh, called all sorts of things under the sun and losing their livelihoods in, in mm-hmm. many cases as well. So the evidence is there. And then how does that then make us What's our subconscious decided as a result of that as to whether we will speak up for what we believe in, or actually even questioning something, having the, the courage to kind of just say that doesn't sound that doesn't sound right, <laughs> and inviting people to consider consider another alternative. So I think there's the there's it's both, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's been a massive area or time of challenge, but also opportunity for people to either speak up or step up or be more visible or, or not Um, Mm. interesting times. Okay. So those are three of the common blocks that people have. Yes. Yeah. So what you can do is like just muscle testing. And um,
3: I always say to my clients, that the, the language that you use needs to resonate with your subconscious. So I might say something in a very different way to how you might say something. And if we were muscle testing, you know, it would really matter what the words that we were using, but things like you can have fun muscle testing to see if, you know, let's say, for example, I trust myself to make a profitable business decision. If you were to muscle test on that, would you get a yes or a no? And let's say if you got a no, like how is that belief then impacting the decisions that you are making and the choices that you're making in in your business? If ultimately underneath behind that there is a belief that actually I don't trust myself, does that make sense? So being able to say things like I trust my, you can muscle test on I trust myself, I trust myself to make profitable business decisions. I hide myself in my business. That's a, that's one. A lot of people who work really, really hard are ultimately in a space of, and not always, but this, I'm just going to share this in case this resonates for someone. We, we can hide ourselves in our business because we're just so busy feeling very purposeful, doing the business things. But actually, if we stopped and allowed some space in our business, we might recognize that actually there's a bit more fulfillment being asked to come in, in other areas of our life, whether it's relationships or having more time with other family members, or whatever it might be. We, that's what I mean by hiding ourselves in our business. But we yeah, might or be else
1: overworking them. at work because not, not everyone in my audience yes. is a business owner. So, so if you're in the workplace, you're overworking, you're just like, I'll do this, I'll do that, work, work, work. Um, is that the same thing hiding themselves exactly or, yeah. yes
3: exactly and and we'll tell ourselves all the good reasons as to why we have to keep working you know the boss is expecting it or you know there's going to be a million scenarios that we'll we'll, we'll buy into as to why and so that's why i find it so helpful to be able to really kind of go okay hang on, let's just take a fresh look at this <laughs> that's interesting that my subconscious is believing this and ultimately if i change those beliefs like what is possible in terms of changing my life and changing my expectations and the the standards that I'm requiring myself to, 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 you know, live to in
1: life. That makes sense. I imagine this can be quite a pivotal, Uh aha moment for people when they realize if they're open to accepting it going, Oh my gosh, it's yeah, it is trust. That's the big thing. Like I do love myself, but I don't trust myself or vice versa or the visibility. So for those listening, if you haven't heard of muscle testing, I correct me if I'm wrong, but the traditional way people would do it was to raise their arm up and the person would cut somebody else would push down on it. Um, and so there's this level of resistance and the body is responding. They're not deciding how much resistance, yeah. but what you're suggesting is this sway technique because they don't need you pushing on their hand. And I guess for your clients, they can do it on zoom and you just literally watch them. Are they standing there with their legs? What like shoulder width apart and they're yes. either going forward or yeah. back. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And you can do it. If you are unable to stand, you can do it. Sit, sit, sit down, seated down, being. Um, and, um, it, it's. Such a quick way to do it. So if I describe it very quickly, so then people can kind of follow along if they're able to, is you have your feet hip width apart, knees slightly soft, so um, they're not locked and hands out of your pocket. And then the best way to do it is is if you are going to go within for a meditation. So you close your eyes, And then just start to notice your breath. So you can feel your chest rising and falling with your breath. That means that you're kind of coming out of your head. Your attention is on your heart. And then a great way to to, to, um, sort of get a baseline response is, is to say something you know to be true. So you would say your name. So my name is, so I'd say my name is Louisa Havers. And then just notice what happens. And it may be a second or a couple of seconds, but if you say it out loud, you say, My name is Louisa Habers, or you'd say your name, and then notice if you just can feel a little pull forwards. And you might feel a pull in sort of your heart area. You might feel it in your sort of tummy area. I can see you moving forwards. I know. And then I, know, I can if feel you it say- taste say something that you know to be not true so if you'd say so I could say like my name is Donald Duck that's what I know is not true and then to notice how that feels so again closing your eyes just allowing yourself to focus your breath your attention on your breath and then saying something you know not to be true so my name is Donald Duck and then noticing what that feels like so I find a lot of people really notice that they can feel like it's almost like there's a rope between their shoulder blades and they get pulled back and when people first do it, their sway is very subtle because they're partly kind of their brain's going, what am I doing? But then as you really trust the process, people's um, sway gets bigger and bigger. Um, well, I think that, thank you
1: for talking louder. us through it because some people <laughs> some people would have, been, would have written it off to be fair. And they'd be like, oh, this is hocus pocus, whatever. Um, but then if they actually want to up their brave and do it in the quiet of their own space where no one's watching, they can actually see like, yeah, do I lean forward when I say my name is um, or back when it's not my name? And then and then what? You start asking some of the more real questions now that you've got it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. You need the baseline because
3: otherwise your brain's going to go, this is a load of focus, pocus. So, you know, and I completely get it because I remember the first time I did it and I was in my bedroom upstairs and I was like, what has just happened? <laughs> and so I was muscle testing on all the sort of, you know, my mom's name, my dad's name, and then making up names and just really doing it with lots of different things just to really get a good baseline. And when I was like, right, okay, this isn't making it up. This is doing it. Then I started having a play with, okay, what are the beliefs that I'm holding that I thought I might be holding? And then finding a whole bunch of stuff that I was like, well, I was not expecting that to be there. <laughs> and, um, and because that's where, you know, really with the art of the art of questioning can really help you to go very, very deep to find out what's, what's, what's going on.
1: Yes. Okay. Before we move on, can you give us one other que- common question that you would ask someone or that we can ask ourselves in the quiet of our own room? <laughs> oh, that's such a good...
3: Okay. So I would... So in relation to, to money, so mm-hmm. so this is a great one. So if you have... Um, this can help people to... I call it playing higher or lower. Okay. So if someone's wanting to grow their business to uh, have a pay rise at work and they're wanting it to be a higher number than what they want now, um, what you can do is you can say so. You can say something like, I will allow myself or I'm ready to allow myself to receive X, Y, Z amount of money, whatever the amount of money is, and see if you get a yes or a no. So if I just use the example of $100,000, so you would say I'm ready to allow myself to receive $100,000 per year or, However, you know you would describe it, and just see if you go backwards or or forwards for it. And typically, what I do find if there's resistance to increasing your increasing your income, um, the resistance comes in below the amount that you say you desire. So, but you can you can play higher or lower. So, you could, if if you get a let's say you got a a, a no to uh, I'm ready to allow myself to receive that amount, you would go low and say okay I'm ready to allow myself to receive over eighty thousand. And then see you go backwards or forwards. Does that make sense? Yes. Cool. So you can kind of see where your subconscious is feeling. Oh, it's okay. I'm allowed to. I'm allowing myself to uh, allow this amount of money in. That's that's a great kind of uh, one for people to do. Just to be able to to start to kind of see
1: what's going on in terms of what they're allowing themselves to 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 receive. Okay. So once somebody establishes that they're like, okay, so self-love is a bit of a block for me or trust, or maybe it's the money barrier of 120K, I can't get past it with the yes, no, then what? Like, What can they do to move forward and go, well, I do want to unlock my financial abundance. That would be really handy right now since groceries are ridiculously expensive and all the things. Um, What's the next move they can do?
3: Oh, the next move is, so we do within the Helix Method, we have clearing statements and then imprinting statements. So uh, the great way to think of this is that your subconscious is listening. You're instructing your subconscious with every word that you're saying. And so through being really intentional, a great way to think of this is a little bit like taking yourself into a little mini meditation where you we use um like a clearing statement where you would simply say something like, I'm ready to release this resistance to allowing in 120K. I release this across all dimensions, planes, times, levels of consciousness. I like to say it once out loud and then twice internally. The reason for that is so that you are staying with the thought and the words that you're saying. And allowing yourself to really feel what that feels like so the body is listening if that makes sense because it's very easy to kind of very flippantly say oh I'm gonna just change it but we really want to be really intentional it's so powerful because then what you can do is after you've done that three times um and what's really beautiful is I always like say to people you know put your hand on your heart so you can kind of just really kind of stay present with it as you're doing it and just breathe in for four breathe out for four afterwards just to anchor it in. You can then muscle test to see if it's gone. I would say to to validate it, and your your body will respond. And then when you've got clarity that that you've you've changed the energy around that, you've changed changed the consciousness around that. Then you can move on to the imprinting side, which is where you're like, right, this is what I'm going to this is going to be a more helpful belief for me to hold, which is like, it's easy for me to create 120k because actually that's an often one that comes up, you know. We, what, if we've worked so hard to get to where we are, the brain's thinking you're going to have to work even harder (laughs) to get to that next level. Um, So we, we don't want to be holding any of those, those beliefs. Um, And so then you can start to imprint and people might be familiar with affirmations. It's like a sort of um, building on that, you know, bringing in what is it that you want to, 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 to believe and to feel and then imprinting that. So it might be like, I'm ready to believe that it's really easy for me to, create 120k yeah i allow this across all dimensions planes times levels of consciousness and that phrase just means across all reality basically um and again it's just speaking to that that part of your consciousness that is
1: knows about this stuff okay I love it. I think, I love it. And I think it's different. I mean, it's going to be really different for some people, but what most people or many people would do or would have done maybe previously is go, oh, we need to scrimp. We need to save, you know, we need to, you know, or, or, oh, I need to earn more money, but it comes from that place of need and desperation. And so this is, hey, if, if things aren't working out for you in the bank, a bank account, like maybe try this new approach, give it a go. What do you, what do you got to lose? That's what I'd say. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. It's just
3: being open to open to this and taking some new new beliefs for for a spin. And do you know what? I completely get it because I remember my journey when I was starting to to learn about this stuff, and I my I was you know as skeptical as they could come. So it's the the, the seven year version year old version of me that the one that left social services seven years ago would have been going what what's going on how have you evolved and what are
1: you teaching now because it was it was uh not on my radar well in a minute i'm going to ask you how we can connect with you so if people want to go and maybe watch some videos or learn some more they can do that um uh i so i know you've been talking about the helix method before we move on is there anything else you want to mention around what is the helix method how does it work or have we pretty much covered that
3: we've pretty much covered it it's it's an energy psychology modality we have a number of tools that we use within it the the one that i speak to most is that one around the muscle testing and then the the uh so that we call it our manifesting ritual um you know around rewiring your, your your consciousness um so that and that's a great one there are um youtube videos if people you know look, look me up louisa havers uh on on youtube you, you'll have me demonstrating it, it there yes um and you know we, we run masterclasses free masterclasses where people can come and just experience it and that's my favorite thing to do because it's free you can come and have kind of have a play we have people joining us from all over the world we've got many many um, community members in, in new zealand and um so that come and join us, and uh, have even got up in the middle of the night to to come and join our our, our masterclasses live. Um, of course, many people joining them on the replay
1: um, as as well when it's perhaps a bit more of a, a human time. Definitely, I think some people will be ready. They're ready. They're more open. People are more open to things a little bit more holistic or spiritual or woo woo. Call it what you want, but they are becoming more open to it. So, thank you for that and how can we follow you online or um a website that we can look up to learn more
3: sure so my website is louisahavers.com. so that's l-o-u-i-s-a-h-a-v-e-r-s.com and i'm on instagram as louisa havers i'm on facebook as louisa havers and linkedin
1: I tend to hang out on
3: Instagram and Facebook mostly though.
1: I love when my guests have consistent branding. It's like, it's just Louisa Havers across the board. Love it. Yes. Um, That's that's so good. (laughs) What else is coming up? I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to the Up Your Brave question in a minute, but while we're talking about how to find you, what else is coming up for you, either personally or in business in the next six months that you'd love to tell us about?
3: Yes. So we have our next certification program starting in September for the Helix Method. And so that is our year's training program that we take um, clients through with the Some people come just to do it because they just want to do it for themselves um, and others come because they want to implement the Helix method within their business and offer mm. that as a service to their clients. We've set it up so that people can get started straight away. My, my intention was for people to have the support and supervision whilst they're working with clients because of course you don't know when the complex case is gonna come come up so that's why we've got the the support in there for the for the full full year so I'm so excited about that so we start that in in September and we also have coming up this will be in September as well. Our next free masterclass, which is called Limitless, where this is for self-aware entrepreneurs who want to break through their their money ceiling, and we'll be doing the Helix Method together. I'll guide you through, and we'll be working on some uh, some of the common co- common money blocks for for people. So those are two key things that are, are coming up, which I'm I'm really excited about. And we run the masterclasses from from time to time, so um, you know, sort of four or five times a year. So there's always If you miss one, there'll be another one coming up in in November.
1: Well, that's great timing. And I think that will be very helpful for those people that are curious to give it a go or to learn more. So thank you about that. The Limitless Masterclass and, of course, the the training. Can you just clarify for me? So did you create the Helix Method yourself or is it something you've certified in and now you're training others? No, I created it myself and now I'm training others. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, what is one thing that you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? So I was thinking
3: about this. I'm about to be really brave because I'm about to move country. But last year, (laughs) the last year, I was thinking it's the preparation for what we're about to do, which has felt brave because we've completely redesigned our, our business model and all our systems and things, which meant hiring new team members, moving on other team members that had You know they've done a really good job, but it was time for us to bring different people in, and that was tricky. Anyone who's Mm. kind of moved team members around knows that that is it needs sensitive handling. And so we've had our incredible OBM who's just been able to get everything sorted, and it has felt really brave because there was a lot of investment in terms of time and resources to to get everything changed. But now we're in a place where we can serve more people with more ease, which is just absolutely fantastic. So. That does feel like it was um, a brave businessy one, but a brave Mm. thing to to do at that time. And the big question is, where are you going? Well, I'm exploring at the moment. (laughs) I'm looking at um, Dubai. I'm looking at Dubai. Haven't 100% landed on that. Um, And... uh, in part because I'm thinking, well, where else could I go in the world? Like Bali. So Dubai and Bali are on, on the cards. And then also um, I'm looking at over on the um Caribbean side of side of things. So the next piece is I need to go on some holidays to yeah. explore to see where I want to
1: go. Some wreckies.
6: Exactly, exactly. That is
1: exciting. That's really cool. Um, and maybe this relates to your bucket list. Maybe not. But for sure, I, I'm my, my business name is The Go-To Girl because I connect people and I love introducing people. So I do know someone who's living it up in Thailand. I knew a lot of people that have lived in Bali as well as visited and done retreats. But people that actually lived in Bali, you probably already have connections. But let me know later on if you want any. Um, yes. And I also know people that have lived in Dubai. So... I'm here. Oh, fantastic. You. Oh, thank you so much because that's it. I was like, I've never been to
3: Dubai. My OBM is moving there. So she's, she's going, how hard is it going to be? Come out with me. And I was like, Oh, this is very, this is very tempting. So I am going to go and explore it properly because, um, I'm following the, uh, following the breadcrumbs that the universe is, is putting in front of me.
1: That is very exciting. Okay. So what is one thing on your bucket list? Uh, something you would love to do be or experience that we can possibly help you to do. Yes. So what is
3: high on my heart at the moment is to go and see some humpback whales with my sons. I have two adult sons. And so this would just be fabulous. And I have been thinking about going to Norway, partly because it's close to home, but I'm open to suggestions of amazing, where's the best place to go and see humpback whales? Because it's, it's those
1: types of whales that I really want to see. Okay, everybody, that's a question. If you want to send us a message um, or you can message Louisa directly or you can text us 2057 on the text. Um, what is uh, anything else that you wanted to add? But I also wanted to ask you before you go, um, generally, how is the vibe in the UK at the moment? We have a lot of expats. Shout out to any Kiwi expats living in the UK right now. Um, but how is the vibe over there? Because I know that when friends have traveled anywhere overseas and they come back to New Zealand, they're like, oh my goodness, Kiwis are still wearing masks. Oh my goodness. Like they just, because we don't realize we're in this little country and we are following the rules. Well, not everybody, but um, I think some people are slowly waking up. I feel like people around the world are a little bit more awake. What is the vibe in the UK?
3: Yeah, well, there's no masks going on. (laughs) Um, So the the vibe in the UK, I would say predominantly at the moment is people are... The general stuff in the media, they're worrying about, you know, the cost of living, all of that kind of uh, narrative. And then the climate change has been a big part of the conversation and the narrative around that, in part because anyone who's been in Britain, they know how we like to talk about the weather, partly because the weather's awful Um, and it's particularly awful at the moment. And the whole of Europe is having like this massive, massive heat wave and we've just got rain. Um, so that's the vibe at the moment is, is um, what I would say is that people are sort of focusing on is how can they be more creative to kind of out, out create this, this matrix of, you know, the the cost of living going up and um, all, all of the stories around that.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting times for sure. And, and I know we keep saying this, but people keep saying, you know, oh, the next month, you know, there's going to be a few more breakthroughs or a few more truths coming out. I'm, I am ready and and waiting for more of that to happen. All right, before we wrap it up, Louisa, is there anything you'd love to share with us? Anything else on unlocking financial abundance by healing your money blocks?
3: I would say it's teaching your body what it feels like to have broken through to the other side already so that your body, your subconscious, knows that it's safe to be able to already be living in that overflow and, you know, at that next level, whatever that next level looks like for you. Um, and then when you've really allowed your your body, your, con- your subconscious to, to feel that, that's when the magic starts to happen and you'll start to be recognizing
1: that something's changing
3: in your reality.
1: That sounds amazing. All right, everyone, you can find out more about Louisa and some of her techniques or join her on the the masterclass, um, louisahavers.com. Thanks so much, Louisa. Thank you. Well, that interview was a little bit different, but I love it. I love the contrast between Glenn, our earlier guest. If you're just tuning in, uh, Glenn talked about gold, silver, and being prepared. And before that, we had Dixie Carlton talking about values and aligning with your values. Now, Louise's interview was a bit different and a little bit woo, as some of us like to say, but that's all right. And I was inviting you to kind of lean into that, pun intended. In that interview, we talked about the sway technique, forward for a yes, back for a no. So if you're up for it, you can give it a go later on. We also talked about the self-love barometer and training yourself to follow the feeling. She talked about being intentional because your subconscious is listening. So I really love that. And if you resonated with what Louisa was talking about and you want to learn more, you can look her up, Louisa Havers, Louisa Havers, H-A-V-E-R-S dot com. She is also on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. She does have coming up a Limitless Masterclass. It's called Limitless Masterclass for those people that want to create more abundance. And you can go and have a look. She'll have it on her socials and her um, website as well.
0: You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: You are listening to the Up Your Brave show. And at this time in the show, I like to do either a sneak peek or a flashback from one of my previous interviews. And as promised, the one I'm going to do for you today is when I was chatting with Ross Campbell. Now, Ross is a ex-actor and model and bodybuilder. And he's just really a good Kiwi bloke who is really wants people to wake up and get off the fence, basically. And that's what we called our interview. It was basically why it's time to get off the fence. Now, quick backstory. So the reason I interviewed Ross, he was Referred to me by someone. So a lot of my guests, a lot of my guests, most of them, I know them. I shoulder tap them. I'm like, I would love to interview you and share some of your insights with my audience. But some people do get referred to me or suggested and requested. Now, Ross came to me through a friend of a friend. And I'm so happy. And this interview has resonated so far and wide. So I'm excited to bring you a little sneak peek, um, a little flashback today. Ross had his teeth knocked out, actually, his front teeth. Um, at the Posey Parker event while helping trying to help Posey to escape safely. Um, that's just part of what we talk about. We do drop a few other truth bombs, and he's just telling it like it is. So if you want some inspiration to get off the fence, here it is. This is Ross Campbell. Your stance today, Ross, is really about it's time to get off the fence. Yep. What is your What is your message to the Kiwis about that? There's
5: so many people that have got their heads buried in the sand because uh, they don't want to know. Mm. you know, about all this trans stuff and and everything else, the jab stuff, you know, because you know, we've been played big time. Yeah. And um, what I'm trying to say to people, you've got to make a stance. You're either with them or you're with us, you know, <laughs> because if you're not with us, you're enabling this to keep going on and on, right? So you're tacitly with them by being, on you know, on the fence, but what you don't understand is at some stage it is going to come for you, you know, but it's time now to wake up, you know.
1: I agree it's time to wake up. What I want to challenge you on is, is your stance of, you know, you're either with us or you're with yep. them, yep. which feels divisive. So are we not trying to get away from the division?
5: Yeah, but but we're the ones that are uh, with the injustice. You're like we're being attacked, you know. Like I mean, even everybody is, but mm-hmm. there's so many people out there that are unaware. That all of this division has been created globally. Yeah. So, so they can, you know, and still install their agenda, right? And it, it's, it's all distractions, mm-hmm. you know, the trans, the the jabs, this now around the world, the voice in Australia, the co governance here, here, poor, poor. It's all to cause division because on Twitter, it's like it's already a civil war going on. You can see the animosity between the Maori and non-Maori. It's been stirred up. Yes. And what they would like is a civil war. You know, that's what they they're doing now is changing all the names to Maori names and saying they're going to help Maori um, farmers. And you know what I mean? It's all it's all designed to be divisive.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. If if it sounds like that from me, I don't mean it to, but you know, pe- we need the people that are unaware of what's going on to just do a bit of research.
1: So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because some people yeah, will be listening. No, some people will be listening and they'll be going, but no, we're, we're just trying to right the wrongs of the past. You know, we're just trying to make it more fair, right? Instead of, you know, if um,
5: I understand. Yeah.
1: So some people might be feeling that.
5: Yeah. I understand. So it's like
1: special treatment versus righting the wrongs of the past. How can we come together as a country?
5: Yeah, but you know, I, I yeah, I, I, I understand. But it's like, is this your house? Yeah. What happens if they come and say, "Listen, we're going to right the wrong. You're out. Yeah. You paid for this house. Tough. This is our land. So, chill. So we're just writing the wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, people are going to think of this individually. You know, it's easy to generalize. You know, and um, and actually, I've been doing a lot of research with history. And a lot of it's not quite right.
1: Agreed. Absolutely.
5: You know, there was people here before Maori.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
5: Yeah, fear people. Fear. I've, I, you know, I've got the stuff at home. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so, and then, but what about people like me and like my family that have been here generations? Yeah, it's not our fault. It's yeah. not my fault.
1: It's like, where do you draw the line? Where do you
5: draw the line?
1: And also, sometimes what I feel like is happening now is we're almost trying to overcompensate. Sometimes, so That's right. then it creates division. That's
5: right. It's, it's. I mean, sorry, but a lot of it to me is virtue signaling too. Absolutely. You know, and um, like I said, I've been around. You know, and <laughs> you know, I, I, am like I've been um, been an actor. I'm like a um, investigative journalist. I've always been interested in why. You yeah. Know? And so, I've, you know, the last three years, especially, I'll tell you now, some people what drove me in the middle hospital. I was waking. I, I wake up at about six or seven. I cut coffee. I'm on the uh, computer mm-hmm. till about ten at night.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Every so, I'm doing like seven days a week double shifts because I'm so. I need to know. I want to know what's really happening Mm -hmm. because I know there's a um, a narrative out there that's not true. You know, it's all it's all lies. Like this, really done my head in too. And I I went to a group, and I'll tell you this: it's a male group for sexual males that have been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll mention it. It's called a place called Better Blokes. Mm -hmm. Nice. And you got a lovely man. We've all been abused. Yeah. Uh Dave Pessel, he runs it. Wonderful guy, Simon Johnson. What and so, you know. Uh, um, what where was I leading with this? Um it's all it's all, you know, an agenda. It's all
1: oh yeah, you're what like you're you're saying you've researched like 24 oh, yeah, You're all yeah, three
5: yeah, And it's not just the mandate stuff, it's everything, history. You know, I do cooking, training, everything. You know, I'm just, I've got to be on the, I, I feel sorry for kids. I understand because I'm addicted. I've got this, to
1: learn to learning. I've and,
5: got this thirst for knowledge.
1: So here's the thing. The some, truth. Yeah, I hear you. And I've got the, I've got the, the, the thirst and the, I'm on a quest as well for yeah, knowledge. Yeah. Some people would say, and I got this too, you know, when I was, when I was getting bullied for basically in wanting I had this mom's group and I didn't want them to encourage the teenagers to get the jab. And I was most concerned about it. And I had people messaging me going, Hey, Nat, Why don't you take a break from social media for a while? Mm. Or it seems like it's really getting to you. And I'm like, the social media is not getting to me. What's getting to me is people are not asking critical questions. Exactly. They're only doing what they're told. So, what I'm, some people might be thinking, Ross, come on, that's not good for you to be researching from seven in the morning till 10 at night. You know, take a break, buddy. What is driving you? Meaning, I get that you want to know what's going on.
5: Yeah. But what do
1: you want to do with that?
5: I really want the truth to come out. There's a lot of people hurting mm. out there. Um, you know, it's like like that's what I was getting at with the group. I was in the group and they didn't really understand me. This I said, my whole life, 67 years has been a lie. There's been a narrative. You know, it's like, you know, people think we're free. We're not free. You know, it's all, everything has been set up. You know, like right back to the medicine. It was taken over by the Rockefellers and it inversed. So, you know, a lot of these um doctors and all that, they think they're doing the right thing, but they're not, you know, like and 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 things like um, you know, the Federal Reserve, all this tax and bloody money, all these loans they lend out, out of, out of thin air. You know, it's everything's been designed and set up for us to be indebted in a in a slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, and school dumbed down. I used to often, when I was a kid at school, I used to think, why aren't we learning about um psychology and, and how to handle money and all this stuff in school instead of all this rubbish? You know, because I'll tell you, Natalie, I never thought, because apart from my dysfunctional home, I always felt I wasn't interested, I didn't belong, you know, because school disinterested me. But now I know why because it was all set up to dumb us down, you know? So, and there was just something wrong. I always thought it was me that I didn't fit in.
1: And you, if you like that, there's definitely more where that is, where that came from. You can go to realitycheck.radio replays and go scroll to the bottom, click on Up Your Brave, (laughs) scroll to the bottom and look for Ross's lovely smiling face. Um, You can listen to his interview as well as any of the other interviews. And I would love it personally One way that we can amplify our impact and to raise the consciousness, the vibration as well here in New Zealand and beyond is to just spread the word, you know, share one if an interview that you listen to really resonates with you, or you see one of the topics that you think is going to help someone in your life to be more empowered, then please go ahead, copy the URL, copy the link. And send it to someone in like a private message or an email or something like that also if you haven't dipped into some of the other shows on reality check radio i definitely recommend just basically turning on the live stream anytime and just seeing who you catch or you can be more intentional you can go to the replays page and listen to either peter or paul or cam or jazpreet and don or marie or anyone else and um and get some more insight and wisdom and of course share one of their interviews as well that's a great way to, um, to make a difference. So wrapping things up, thank you so much for joining me today, where we were talking about values and abundance. We were also reflecting on last week's topic of why it's time to stand up and speak out, get off the fence and also the great awakening. So, um, whatever resonates with you, please go ahead and up your brave in the week to come. It's a great time to revisit our values. Remember who we are and what we stand for If you do want help to up your brave, you can check out my website, which is upyourbrave.com. I've got an amazing recommended page of lots of other people that can help you. Um, And of course, I help people to voice their impact and make a massive difference in the world, um, upping their brave. So you can check that out, upyourbrave.com. And I'll see some of you at the NZDSOS conference. I'll see some of you at the River of Freedom movie. And thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Until next time, remember to up your brave.
0: Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR. Reality Check Radio.